0: Ladies and gentlemen, may I present for your intellectual and philosophical pleasure Fest on
1: Raw Dog Product Comedy Hits Channel 99.
2: Let's get down to it, Boppers. It's the Ron and Fez Show, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, another beautiful day on the East Coast, as we get the very last of the Nor'easter, I don't know why we don't name Nor'easters, but if we did, I would have called this one Frankie Jr., after it's dad, Big Frank. <laughs> Eight six six Ron zero Fez eight six six Ron zero Fez. The Christmas spirit is upon us. Uh, everybody but us is decorating their little office or yeah. uh,
3: little space that they have because some people don't have offices. They'll have a chair and a desk in the middle of the hallway.
2: <laughs> it's like um, I like to. I like to decorate our interns. A little too hot coming in for you, Fez? A little hot, a little blaring. How about my mic? Is my mic too hot today? I don't think so. We need someone always to check for us on the outside of this room because this room is a lie. This room has been Mars, If you're going to be totally honest about Marzipan. it, yeah, Mars thinks making the show sounds better means making it sound better in here, not in America, North America, where the North American scum live. It's a lovely and exciting day for the Ron and Fez show. Um, Two big announcements right off the bat. Uh, Fez Watley, who is the winner of the Highlander helmet? Fishbulb. Fishbulb. Thank you so much, Fishbulb, for your highest bid. Not his real name, Fishbulb. You are the winner of a lovely Highlander helmet signed by just tons of uh, Hall of Famers. And, Fez, you think that this is the the buy of a lifetime.
4: Absolutely. Someone's going to get a fantastic Christmas gift if Fishbulb decides to pay this forward.
2: I'm sure he's just going to keep it himself. If I was Fishbulb, (laughs) I'd want that thing sitting right there on my coffee
3: table while I'm watching the big games if I was part of the bulb family, I'd freak out if he was giving it away. I don't think it's his real name. I I mean, I don't know. Mr.
2: Fishbulb. Crazy things. It would be uh it would be embarrassing if we said to him, "Okay, we need your real name now." And we found out that it was indeed Fishbulb. Oh god. <laughs> so, congratulations for that way to keep the Christmas spirit rolling on. Everybody has the we were just talking before the show today, like this is our happiest Christmas. Like you guys I had to say to you as it was starting, settle down. I can't settle down. I can't
3: keep it inside of me. I'm so happy for Christmas.
2: I know Rudolph was on TV last night for its 50th anniversary, which by the way, just to let people know, if Rudolph was real, he'd be dead now.
3: Oh. So, I wasn't thinking about that. I'm
2: working on a children's story called The Day Rudolph Died. <laughs> And like, this will <laughs> be his final seconds. weep,
3: Just fucking redlined on his own nose. I feel like Santa Claus just brings him out, you know, puts one in the back of their head.
2: I don't know if that, uh, I mean, it might be the humane thing to do, but I don't know if you can be humane with something that talks. We're only humane with things that don't know that they're
3: dying. No, you can mercy kill some that talks.
2: That's why you get in trouble with the law. Um, I before I uh, move on to other stuff, something we're incredibly excited about, Big J Okerson gets recognition from the New York Times. Woo! Yeah! And the New York Times calls him the master of the dirty joke.
3: He's a classy the boy now. The prince
2: of porn... Um, and then, uh, the poet laureate to the penis joke. And then finally, an old Jewish Yenta, which <laughs> I don't get at all, but see, I go back to, uh, Oh, by the way, uh, Michael didn't realize that he was outbid. He just wrote to me. He thought he had the last bid.
3: Stupid.
2: You got to watch these auctions, Mike M. I've never been in an auction myself. I don't know how they work. Uh, But there it was, the exciting auction. That was my first. My next one, I want to go to an art auction where you have a little paddle that you just put up. That seems fun. To the man over
3: there. (laughs) I don't know how it works. Well, if you just keep the paddle up the entire time. Um, and
2: if you want to help out uh, now that the auction is over, just go to our Twitter, and we'll let you know how you can uh, help out uh, the Greer family. Here is Bill in Rockland County. Hey, Bill. What's up, cool
5: cousin? Rock. Hey, cousin. Fucking cousin? Fez? And Kid cu- Kid Kissin Cutting and Chris Pepper Hicks. How's it going, gentlemen?
2: What's Ron? up dude?
5: The way that uh the way the show ended yesterday made me question whether you are addicted to the chaos. Maybe you've replaced some of your addictions with chaos and that's why you've surrounded yourself.
6: With that
2: sort of staff. Uh, the entire time I've worked in radio, there's been nothing but chaos. I never remember a functional show. <laughs> and not just mine, but anyone else's. There is something very dysfunctional about people sitting in a small room for hours on end that goes for months and years on end. It is a, it's like being in a car trip with your friends. You know what those car trips are like.
3: They get crazy.
2: They get crazy. Well, imagine if that was your life. If your life was driving to
3: Lauderdale, it's a hate incubator. I've lost friendships driving to New Orleans.
2: But I think I got a. I think I got a, a, a chaos thing. I mean, I. Uh, I like when things get weird. I think everybody does. I don't think anybody wants to sit around and go, "Oh, this is average." Who wants normalcy? Poor Fez. That's all he dreams of, is just being a real boy like Pinocchio used to ask for. But then, if you looked at the end with Pinocchio, he sucked. He was fucking great when he had a big, crazy nose and was, you know, running run around with donkey boys.
3: Yeah, what's better than like a, a damn toy that runs around?
2: I'm a real wife. boy now. A real boy that has to do homework. A real boy who's nervous around girls.
3: Well, back then, Pinocchio probably would have had to go to work immediately. I didn't think about that. <laughs> like, real Pinocchio probably died a couple of years later from just some terrible some disease. Some longer. He ended <laughs> yeah. up,
2: yeah, just in the coal mines and it all fucking came crashing down on him. Well, they make the sequel. Squeakwal. They call everything a squeakquel over there. I didn't know that.
3: I just thought it was the one franchise.
2: Chris, that's why you're a
3: fucking banana head.
2: <laughs> now, you let everybody know who won tickets in
3: uh, D.C., right? Yes, I did, yeah. I've con- they've been contacted.
2: I'm looking forward to that. And I thought that we'd be traveling down on the train with Don, and then I was told, "No, absolutely not." Oh, looking forward to a little train time. Don. By the way, Don did not realize that he lived closer to New York than he does his job in DC. I forget who told him. I think Lauren down the hall said I was just at the you know the potato chip Uts fact. First of all, Lauren down the hall goes on an Uts tour to see how potato chips are made. I mean, I like potato
3: chips. Not that much.
2: I go, what are these? Oldies potato chips? What is your giant interest in them? <laughs> Chris Stanley has put together something for us next week because I said, do not book anybody else because we're planning our big year-end thing. Yeah. But then he put together a couple people next week. Old school Surviving people, and I'm like, no, we do have to take this.
3: Pretty amazing.
2: I can't be protected from that. And Chris refuses to protect me. His thing should be, no, you can't get to Ron right now. Instead, he's going, I'll ring Ron up right now. It's three o'clock in the morning, I'll wake <laughs> him up. I am get him excited about something that doesn't make sense for the show right
3: now. It's an amazing opportunity, though. I mean, for you. By the way, your
2: fucking cap is getting dingy.
3: Yo, yo, yeah, yeah. You know what you need for uh, the D.C. trip? What's that? Nationals cap. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm going to try to blend in down there.
2: Yeah. Right now you're doing that thing where your cap matches your hoodie because you're (laughs) fucking Bronx Johnny Jr.
3: (laughs) Well, I had to walk in the rain for like 20 minutes yesterday, so this hat's done. I had to well, I I don't like carrying umbrellas so I was just soaked Got to gotta have an umbrella. I hate carrying an umbrella. I hate carrying anything in my hands while I'm walking around well, the street.
2: It, it's not just carrying it, you're keeping the rain off your head.
3: I know, but I have a hood. I had a hoodie, but it didn't help. It just soaked through the hoodie. It's soaking through my clothes.
2: Janice uh, sent us her Christmas presents and uh, gave me some lovely reading material for the train.
3: Nice. I got she sent me her letter, which takes a while to read. Is there a smoking car on the train down yes, there? Yes, there is. Really? Yeah. Well, I know we I'll be hanging out because she sure. gave me a lovely carton of Marlboro.
2: There's rice. a smoking car, and they also have barbecue there.
3: What? <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> this would be great. Why does anyone leave the train? Just that, right, stay on it.
2: First of all, just light up wherever you are. It's sealed boxes. Why wouldn't they want you smoking? <laughs> that reminds me, get some vapes. Uh, And then also, uh, you remember Tuttle from Florida? He was our great intern? Yes, I remember Tuttle. Okay. Back me up on it. Good. Because I didn't know whether I was crazy or not. Uh, His mom makes great peanut brittle. She's sending peanut brittle for all of us. But there was a note, let Ron open up the box. I don't want these disappearing like small waters.
3: You got a fucking reputation with your, with your peers. Look, I'm not going to steal peanut brittle, okay? There was a small water. I was thirsty. I cracked it open. And I took a sip. That's all that happened. I saw two empty fucking waters there. <laughs> yeah, there were you're two. a liar. Well, after the, after I was, uh, you know, took the sip, I hadn't finished
2: it. If you're an Indian, I'd name you Stealing Waters. That's a cool name. It is pretty fucking cool. Should be the name of our band too that we're trying to put together.
3: Like a real power trio.
2: Why is it going to be a trio? Why can't Shelby be in the band? Why can't we be a quartet combo? (laughs) So last night was a big night for the ages. Rudolph came back 50 years now. 50 years of the Dolph. Is that your favorite
3: of all the... uh that and Frosty's Snowman, but that thing is Frosty. I, 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 I as a little kid, I, I I was watching. I just it. thought it was lame. There's so many
2: more I like better than Frosty. I like the Heat Mynahs are better than Frosty.
3: I used to really like the Garfield Christmas special, though I haven't seen it in years—probably twenty.
2: Then you. Don't care about it. To me, if you love a Christmas special, you not only love it as a little kid, but you love it as an adult, and you try to get other little kids to watch it.
4: See, that's how unspecial the Garfield Christmas special is. Oh, it's not like something that has that's going to be played 50 years in the future.
2: Okay. See what Fez is saying right now? Yeah,
4: he's
3: attacking me in my love of the no, Garfield Christmas special. He's attacking you because you're stupid. <laughs> no, not for any other reason. No, I'm smart.
2: Like the Charlie Brown... Is probably fifty or close to it, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be like fifty in a couple of years. Now,
2: here's the weird thing: those little kids, they don't know who Charlie Brown is. They didn't grow up reading the Sunday uh, funny pages the way we did, <laughs> but they know it works. Cause winter time is here. Um, that one is probably the best of all. Or would you go Grinch? Santa Claus is coming to
4: town. We're f- with Fred Astaire as the uh, animated mailman, and it's the whole origin story of Chris Kringle. Do you know who's
2: playing the part of Santa Claus in that? No, I don't. Mr. Mickey Rooney. Look at this shock and surprise! I am shocked. No, but but you were inwardly shocked, flabbergasted. Yeah, he just went inside very very deep. This is the greatest song of all time. This, even as a child, I would be so depressed listening to this song.
1: I'd be like, yeah, they're
2: right. Life goes by pretty fast, don't it? Guess we'll all be old soon. Look up at my grandmother. Well, I better cherish the time I have with you, old lady. Because it's all ending. This is sad. It is sad. It's all about depression. Well, isn't that what Christmas is about? Christmas, Depression. Christmas is really a time to uh, get a little depressed. Uh, Ryan, you're on the Run and Fez Fest show.
6: Yeah, Eminem uh, Otter Jug Band Christmas.
2: Now, you like Eminem, Otter, but I prefer the rock band that oh, I did, blew his uh, shit River away band. the River <laughs> Nightmare
6: Band. Or, uh,. Paul will
2: put a hole in the washtub. Do they still play the Emmett Otter, but not on the networks? Right? No,
4: it gets relegated off to ABC Family. Oh,
2: see, I don't even know where that is. I watch ABC porn. I don't know where that <laughs> fucking... I guess we're trying to get everybody into this.
4: Yeah. It's right next to ABC Family. It's one down. Yeah. I can say for certain I'll
2: be there
4: to treat you to a soothing baby.
2: Why would he pick that? Do you think, Fez? Because he's not aware of what he's doing. I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Too busy watching Garfield. Oh God! Oh, God. What? Why? David in San Francisco. Fez is slapping you down.
6: Why? The, yeah. the teacher on Santa Claus is coming to town. She was. Uh, she was. Uh, she was nice on the ice.
2: So you were uh, turned on. Six
6: years old, probably seven, eight years old. And oh, man, that goes hot.
4: Um I think it's the first time we ever found out Mrs. Santa Claus's first
2: name. Jessica. See, I don't even remember that. <laughs> She's Jessica Claus. Really? Jessica Claus. But what was she before that? What was her maiden name, if you will?
4: Um, I believe that might have been Kringle and it was sort of an incestuous thing. There wasn't that many people in that part of the world.
2: Oh my god. Maybe it was Kringle with a safe as where you to leap ahead. Um. Hold on, Bill's got one, and I've never even heard of. Bill in Jersey, what's up, buddy?
6: Uh, big ass card holder, twenty nine eight seventy five. My cousin.
7: Hooah! Hooah! hoo-ah, hoo-ah.
6: Ronnie, B., you, you've never heard it, you never seen it, you got to check it out. Shrek the Halls, it's phenomenal. You'll laugh your ass off.
2: I have never heard of Shrek the Halls, but I can honestly say I've never seen all the Shreks either. I think I saw the first Shrek. Uh, I am not familiar with
4: the Shrek the Halls. Oh yeah.
6: It's funny as hell. I mean they all kind of do their own
2: Shrek doesn't know anything about Christmas and they Are they the real Shrek them. voices? Is Eddie yeah, Murphy in this? Rome. Yeah, Donkey, the whole nine yards.
3: I know right? it's Donkey, but is it Eddie Murphy? I'm gonna look this yeah. I don't I don't it's a short from two thousand seven. <laughs> oh yeah, wow, no. Eddie Murphy is in it.
2: It's the Spanish guys, the cap, all nine yards. I saw a thing called Shreka Balls, but... Um, Not a holiday special? Well, it was. She was wearing a cap. The lovely Shrekka. you know, she's never had a white Christmas.
3: She's a Phoenix, Arizona girl. She's a cardinal. Just get out of there for Christmas, at least. Get yourself a little bit of that white. It doesn't make a. Are you use? talking about cum or Coke? No, 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 it's snow, snow. Oh,
2: who calls it white? Native Americans on it knew it was called snow. They did not thing it the color that it was. Try to start something new. Well, you know you. You're a trendsetter. <laughs> Everybody's going to start wearing dirty ball caps. Mel in D.C. You're on the Ron and Fez show. Hey, Ron. Hey.
6: Listen, uh, I, I got home. My daughter, who's 17, said, "Dad." Rudolph's getting ready to come on. I immediately sat down and said, "Let's watch it. Watched it, loved it." But I, I made her laugh hysterically because there's so much social commentary in that in that great show, even though it's 50 years old. I said, "Well, you know, Rudolph is actually half black," and she said, "No." And I said, "Yeah." And watch whenever they find out because he's trying to hide it with the nose. And when they find out, they're like, "Oh no, you can't play with the reindeer games." And you see. Uh, Clarice is dead. No daughter of mine is gonna go out with a red-nosed
1: reindeer.
2: Mel, Mel, of, well, of course, Herbie. Is, I'm sure if we Herbie were five, can. we'd be just thinking this was adorable. But we're grown adults. Go do fucking stand-up open mic at uh, the Improv, okay? <laughs> and of course, you check this out, you know what I mean, <laughs> folks. You What's know my dress? crazy, folks. What's the deal with Rudolph's <laughs> nose? Where's he going? He's black! <laughs> Rudolph's black! He's mixed! Never ever see that big dick hanging between his legs? That's a black <laughs> cock! Gramer! <laughs> Stop saying that word! Um. Chris, Philly, you're on the manifest Show.
6: Hey guys, I don't even know if any kid under 20 even knows that it is anymore, but when I was a kid, I think it was the early 80s, it came out with Yogi Bear's First Christmas. And we used to watch that every single year. I even
4: got my kids into it now, but I don't think you can get anywhere anymore.
2: I don't even remember.
4: I don't remember Yogi Bear. I think the Flintstones tried to do something
2: where they were at the Nativity. Well, first of all, I didn't try to do something. It fucking killed. When Fred had to take over for Santa Claus because Santa Claus was sick.
3: Oh uh, All right. That was fucking amazing. And wouldn't Yogi be hibernating during Christmas? Wouldn't he even uh, be aware of it? i
2: mean, been the deal with Yogi! Wouldn't they be eating fish out of the brooks? berries? Here's the thing about uh, Yogi Bear. He can run faster than any human. And if you're running from Yogi Bear, zigzag while running downhill. Do not climb a tree. That's fucking ridiculous. Um, Here's our buddy Cigars and Scotch.
6: Uh, over the years, I don't think the Jack Frost one has gotten enough love. I always like that one with, with Kubla Khan and the 10,000
4: knights. Do you know this one, Fuzz? No, I thought he meant the Michael Keaton movie. No. Where he gets no. turned into a snowman.
6: Where uh, yeah, Jack Frost wants to become a human boy. Very Pinocchio-esque, but uh, classic.
2: I don't remember this one. Uh, I'm looking ah. at it now on the YouTubes. He's
3: flying, Jack Frost, he is.
2: See, Jack Frost was really Asian. No one ever brings
3: that up. See, I didn't know. Yeah, you thought he was squinting. Yeah, looked like he had terrible eyesight. Couldn't see shit. Bobby in Jersey.
6: Bobby B. Four zero two four. My cousin. Hoo 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 Old oh,
2: school cousin.
6: Hoo 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 I get your uh, your references all year long. Mister Magoo's Christmas Carol.
2: My favorite. It's my favorite as well. It's uh, the perfect, perfect Christmas show. Uh, Magoo. Here's the interesting thing. Look at the beginning. Look how much Broadway has changed over the years. I mean, you don't <laughs> see those kind of signs, you know? I wish we did. There's this all video It's all flash yeah, screens. in in Times Square now, but back in Mr. Magoo's days, you know? I mean, it would be about the actual lights. Turn up the sound a little bit, because this is when he's going to be back, back. Oh, no, we like got, it. like, the overture going, but when he starts to drive around. Look at Broadway. It looks fucking amazing. It's Over to, to the back. right, Chris, that's where we work.
7: Back, <laughs> back, back. Great to be back, back, back. Look at those lights. Great to be back.
2: There's a picture of Jimmy Schubert on, going by. Up
7: with a stack on Broadway the press, Heat up a mess of those Bop, of socks
2: thing about Mr. Magoo Acting came first Over a bunch of this for children You know what I mean? Yeah It was about the craft And it was about setting a moment That people could hang on to
7: Flash,
2: Gentlemen in Boston, you're on the Run and Fish Show.
7: Hey,
6: Ronnie. Um, the Claymation Christmas special was amazing, and the reason why is it wasn't uh, somebody saves Christmas, somebody saves Christmas, Christmas isn't going to happen this year. No, it wasn't that. It was just a nice uh, Christmas musical review with a wraparound with these two dinosaurs that were like uh, Cisco and Ebert, and it was pretty funny. There was no you know, major controversy in the show, and uh, the music was good. If you YouTube Carol of the Bells from the Christmas uh Nation Christmas, it's great.
2: Thanks, buddy. Here's Rob at Jersey Shore.
6: Hey, Ronnie, what's up? Have you guys good. ever seen a Charlie Brown
2: Kwanzaa? No, I missed that one.
6: It was only broadcast on YouTube, but it's pretty good. It was so good that they actually did a quite a different a uh, few different holiday specials up there, but it's, you uh, know,
2: these parody kids, I mean, they're so talented these days, you know. I saw the Star Wars trailer with puppies the other day. I mean, it just, it just doesn't stop. It just goes on and on and on.
3: Anyone could do CGI now.
2: See, look at this one here. You got dinosaurs celebrating Christmas. Does anybody want to guess how ridiculous that is? That's like us celebrating a holiday about a savior in the future of a different species.
3: Maybe. They had a dinosaur Jesus.
2: Well, remember when you got that certain age that you would just sit down and fucking just rake all over these things and hurt your parents' feelings by saying, look how stupid and fake this is? (laughs) Does that hurt the parents? I imagine it has to, right? It does, because you see your children growing up, and you see them becoming, they go from delightful, beautiful little creatures to just fucking stupid dude bros in front of your eyes.
3: Oh, you cynical little jerks.
2: Yeah. You're suddenly sitting there on the couch with some fucking kid who's talking about sneakers all the time
3: <laughs> and video games. So we were just a nice family. <laughs> what happened? I don't want to go there. It sucks. But you used to love it. I'd rather go to a water park with my friends. Dad. Well, come on, we're best buddies, aren't we? Come on. Come on, little guy. Get out of the 80s, dude. Everything's not Michael
2: Jackson. Thriller was a great album. You think anyone tries to turn their kids on the thriller? I guess moms do. We used to dance the thriller dance. You know, know. it's so great. I mean, we would rush home from school and watch MTV. What guy code? No, this is before guy. Got... <laughs> Sit around, everybody. I have stories to tell.
3: Oh, whatever.
2: And John Hughes used to make movies that were really like going to the movies and looking into a mirror. I mean, we all went into different groups. There were the greasers, and then there were the nerds. Now everyone's a nerd, dick. That was the whole thing of movies back then. They would like make fun of someone who had a computer, and now every human being is attached to a computer twenty-four hours a day. If
3: you're not, then you're the freak weirdo. Yeah, like where's your fucking uh, where's your cell phone, bro? Don't have one get out you're ostracized
2: my dad is bringing up my mother-in-law's Facebook to me and I like I have no idea what you're talking about
1: mm-hmm.
2: I have no idea where
3: she went they have Instagram that's the new hot shit No. Well, they just got off myspace two weeks ago Hey, MySpace is back.
2: I decided not to talk call my dad about this torture thing because he'd have been freaking out like the people on Fox News. Just in a full
3: <laughs> meltdown. It's insane. We had to torture those people. America is great. This is why. They're going fucking batshit. They're going crazy.
2: <laughs> no one's against our country. But it's tough to read about torture and feel good about it. Now, if you remember when the torture shit came up and I said it on the show, I say you can do whatever you want. You just can't get caught. There can't be anyone left to tell the story. You torture and unfortunately, you're going to have to kill that person. You don't fucking write it down in notes and file it away from future generations to ponder over because
3: you look like a maniac. 415 waterboarded for seven hours. Why would someone do that? How dumb do
2: you have to be? I put it up there with the people smoking dope on fucking YouTube. It's all going to come back and get
3: you. You're beating someone until they talk. See attached photos.
2: Keep your fucking business to yourself. Why is it so fucking difficult for anyone to keep a secret? Why do they feel the
3: need to share? And that's why conspiracy theories are all bullshit.
2: Yes. Because no one can keep their goddamn fat mouth shut. And they would write it down.
3: We ordered the planes into the buildings. So we built this moon set, and then we brought the actors in. Come on. It doesn't make fucking
2: sense that you would write this shit down. And then, by the way, you can't look crazier than if you defend torture. You can't look more insane than when you defend torture. At the best, you could go like this. Hey, our guys were under a lot of stress themselves, and, you know, we can understand how things got out of control. Distance yourself from it and just say these guys did some awful things because they were freaked out and under
3: Look, we couldn't let them sleep for a week. It was the only thing we could do. We needed the information.
2: I got a a big person I got to talk to you right now. Ladies and gentlemen, on the show is the one and only Fishbulb.
1: Fishbulb! Hurrah! Hey, Cousins. How's it going?
2: Congratulations, Cousins. You are going to uh, love that helmet. Yes.
6: Uh, The the one thing that's interesting about it is I don't know much or care much about football, um, but I will still love and enjoy it. Um, and I'm very excited to have been part of the whole thing. That I was listening that day that Joe List was on, and that that whole the way that whole thing turned was just the really the nicest thing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I really, really
8: think it's a great thing that you guys are doing.
2: Well, you turned around and uh, you know made uh, this a little easier Christmas for a family where the dad is suffering from a brain tumor, which. Um, I understand everything is going great with the operation, but the recovery time is there. And Thank you so much, Fishbulb. My pleasure. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Fez, should I put him on hold for you so you can yeah talk to him? All right, I'm going to put you on hold, Fishbulb. Let's take a reboot here, a little commercial break, and let uh, Fez and Fishbulb have a conversation. Coming up a little later on in the show... Uh, we're going to have some of the great ladies of comedy, Christine Evans, Rebecca Trent, and Amy Hawthorne, three young ladies that are turning comedy upside down in ways that uh, people didn't see coming, organizing events and making uh, stuff go down. As I said, go over to the iBang right now and click the link to read the Big J Okerson article. Woo, Big, Big J represented. Represented in the New York Times. That is the paper of record. The great lady. That is what everybody will go back and look over these times. And they're going to go, in late 2014, there was crowd work going on. Back then, people wouldn't write material, but sit and talk to the audience about their sex lives. Crowd work, it was called. We'll be right back. It's the of fest Show. (laughs)
7: And now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Ron and Fez on Raw Dog Comedy Hits, Channel 99.
2: Show feeling that uh, Christmas spirit here as we're getting counting down the, the days of 2014. Uh, the big Jay Okerson piece is up on the iBang. If you would go, leave a little comment for Jay. Give him some love. He's been a great, great guy for us the last couple of years, and uh, it's this makes me feel. Like 2015 is going to belong to Big Jay Oakerson. To end this strong with the New York Times? Come on. That's the paper of record, my friend. All the news that's fit to print. Um, here is uh, Mark. Mark in South Carolina. You're on the Ron Fes Show.
6: Hey, Ron. What I hate so much about finding out about the torture is that we lose the high moral ground, and if our enemies capture our soldiers, and they will sooner or later, they can torture them, and we can't really say too much about it. That's what I hate so much about the the torture issue, is it gives them license to torture our Army Marines.
2: Well, Well, you know, it makes a good point. Do you still feel like the United States of America... Uh, who at one time, I believe, had the high moral ground. If you look at, let's say, World War II, we had the high moral ground. Have we had it? Has it eroded since then? And where do you think we sit in terms of morality right now?
6: Well, well we whipped the Germans, which were military uh, might, and the Japanese at the same time without having to torture. Right, and we can't beat uh maybe a hundred thousand uh radical Muslims without torturing uh, to me I it just made me sick. I'd rather lose the war than be a, from a country that tortures
2: now were you That's feeling were you feeling about that that same way years ago
6: yeah I, when I first came out, it just sickened me uh no. sickened my stomach that we had you know had to resolve i you know had to uh start torturing. It was like, well, okay, we're well, now not any better than North Vietnamese or the North Koreans or on and on.
2: Alright, thanks, so, Mark. Yeah. Peace. He weeps for the United States of America and our ability to have the high moral ground. Now, I, I actually thought that we lost the high moral ground the second Chris Stanley was born. Oh, come it on. just felt like this country went into and then bathed and shit. How can no I? No offense, Chris. Oh, I'm going to take a lot of offense to that. Of course you will.
3: You're a low moral fortitude. <laughs> it's nothing to do with morals. It's I can't be that the, the pivot point of the, the decline of the United States. And yet you are.
2: And maybe, you know, maybe it's just uh, a joke that has come down. You know, maybe it's not you, but the timeline runs exactly the same. From your birth, this country has sunk and sunk and sunk. And maybe the thing to do is just, like crazy bitch, revel in it. Just not fight it anymore. Just say, this is who we are. And there ain't a goddamn thing we can do about it. David in North Carolina, how are you, buddy? What's up, cousin? Hey, cousin. Hey, man.
6: This last caller, is he still on the air? Was he still on the line as well? Uh, no. Damn. This guy's an idiot. He'd re- he said he'd rather lose the war than to be accused of torturing when the people who are supposed to be tortured are the ones cutting people's heads off, non-military personnel, their own people, women, children. We just gave him a well-needed bath to get some information.
2: Now, when you say that to yourself, uh, David, is there a difference between us and them?
6: Well, there's a big difference between us and them. Because
2: to me, if you were, like, speaking in Arabic, I would be like, look how crazy these people are. You see what we have to deal with? But you seem like one of those guys that would be throwing shoes in a weird crowd (laughs) over in the (laughs) Middle East. Screaming, kill (laughs) them. You you don't talk any different.
1: Well, I
6: just look at it as... he's. If he said we would have POWs in this war. Well, we've already had POWs in this war. And what happens is they don't get tortured for information and then, okay, now go home to your families, go home to your country. No, they get beheaded on camera for the world to see. They don't have that opportunity.
2: And so you think that the only way to fight this war is for us to act like our enemy?
6: No, 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 no. I'm not saying the only way to fight this war, but I also don't feel sorry for the assholes that are responsible for terrorism throughout the world, especially this country. I don't feel sorry for them.
2: It isn't a matter of feeling sorry for them. It's a matter of who are we and why do we act like we're different from the other guys? Boy, look at this courtroom. Some crazy shit going on there, huh? Up on CNN. That fucking Judge Judy show is getting nuts anymore. Um, all right. Thanks, buddy. 866-RON-0-FEZ. 866-RON-0-FEZ. Here's Jason in Detroit.
6: Hey, Ron. Uh, Amy, hey, Cousins. Hey, cousin. Um, when I was in the service, I was in the reserves, and I didn't serve overseas. I didn't have the uh, the opportunity to do that. But uh, we were the military police. Uh, we were running uh, the POW camps. And uh, as part of our training every year, we were taught always to treat our prisoners as human beings. You know, you don't torture them, you give them food, you give them medicine, stuff like that. You know, you treat them basically better than you treat yourselves. Because I talked to the guys who actually served over in, uh, the first, during the first Gulf war. And those guys were going out without food and stuff, but they had to feed the prisoners because you have to set an example of the United States as being a better place to live, as being the, the I hate to say, to say it, the, the theme of good. You know, something right. you want to achieve. You don't want to stoop to the level of, of people who are acting like savages, because you know the old saying. You know, you you do that, and you just become your enemy. You know. Now, Jason,
2: that's not, guess, uh, ahead, sir. the military didn't do any of this torturing, right? This was always the CIA guys.
6: That's correct. That's what the report is saying. But when you're um, when your enemy, they don't differentiate between the CIA right. and the military they captured an American, oh, an American did this to somebody of our side, we'll do that to them.
2: So what would you say to the to the last caller, that guy? Who I, would,
6: called. I would just ask the last caller this question. You know, what they're doing over there is reprehensible. There's no doubt. But if you're being captured, do you want that to happen to you? Because, uh, like you said, there's no way you can say... well, you know, they're not going to do it now. There was always a chance that they wouldn't do it. We have to be better than our enemy. We're for, the service is, you're a professional. You're supposed to be that. You're not there, you're not for revenge. It's not for revenge business. Being in the military is not the revenge business.
2: Thanks for calling, Jason. Here's Scott in Iowa. Scott, you're on the Run of Fez show.
6: Yeah, we're not in the revenge business. We're in the business of getting information, okay? And for him to sit there and say, or anyone else for that matter, to sit there and say, well, we tortured, now they're going to do it to us. They're going to do it to us irregardless. Uh, We've been using torture methods since the beginning of time. Now it's just a big uproar because the public has this freaking ungodly need to know every little thing that we do, how we do it, when we do it, and then want to judge on what we're doing. It's just enough of it already. All right,
2: so let's play with that thought for a while, Scott. Do you think that the American public who pays for this stuff has no right to know this information?
6: Absolutely not. Not when it comes to this kind of thing. So, they're, not, they're not there. You're not, you're not involved in it. So um, should, should that at least be put
2: up uh, as a vote?
6: It, it already has. You're saying, you're saying that we're going to pay for the military, for the CIA, and it's not the General Army, Marines, any of so that. So the I
2: only have, way to stop propaganda. torture is to get rid of the CIA.
6: But you're not going to stop it, no matter what you do. This does nothing. Our black ops are still going to do what they do. Our CIA is still going to do what they do. It doesn't matter. So do you,
2: do you see the black ops and the CIA as being above the law? Because if that's the yeah, case... Uh, look, yeah. look. If, if what you're saying is true, then every time there's a missing girl and we, we round up some subjects, why doesn't the father have the right to say torture that motherfucker the same way that you would torture overseas? What is the but difference the if we're, the if we're for torture? Why wouldn't it go on no matter what happened? But there's
6: different levels of torture and there's different things. I mean, the police... You could say that the police department is a level of torture by their interrogation methods by hours and hours and hours and hours of interrogating, correct?
2: No, so I would not call that torture. I would not... Sit not in, and there are rules to that what you can get away with. Any lawyer would be able to go in and say that that guy confessed something under duress. And it happens like that all the time. Um, let's go over here to Don in Illinois. Don, you're on the Run of Face show.
6: Yes, uh, they were talking on CNN that most of this stuff happened during uh, the Bush-Cheney administration, uh, taking up prisoners and torturing them, and they were talking that uh, President Obama doesn't go through any of that, he drones them. That Those were the words he used, and meaning they go in with Predator drones and scope these guys out and just blow them up. Right. So there's...
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean the so you're saying better to be tortured than to be blown up.
6: Well, I don't think any of it's any good. But the the way they presented it last night, that being droned was a better option than being tortured.
2: Yeah, I uh, you know I mean th- this thing is being presented from so many places. But I will say this: I don't know how anyone is shocked that this was taking place because it used to come up uh, all the time during the Bush administration. The waterboarding stuff blew up. Like. Yeah, I mean, we had it on TV, and you know, radio hosts would do it themselves, and we all knew this stuff was going down, and we talked about it every day. Um, here's Frank. Frank, you're on the run of fez Show. Yeah, Ron, uh, didn't
6: the U.S. Army do worse things during the Vietnam War? Well, I remember there was a lot of shit going, well, bad shit going down.
2: Yeah, but there's also military law as well. And when someone step, steps outside of that, they're up for it. Here, here's what I don't understand. I don't understand why anybody keeps fucking records of this. It seems insane to me Who's that you're running the this secret operation, you know, and then writing a report up. Dirty Harry never wrote up a report. Uh, at that time I said to him, I know what you're thinking. And this is one of my great lines.
3: You'll, you'll never believe I said this. He'd be out the fucking I mean, that, come on. And
2: then I, I mean, shot this, him in the fucking face. This guy looked like he was going to shit himself. I was standing on his fucking... I had shot him in the hand. and I was, sta- I I was shot, standing on top of
3: it. At the time, I shot the fucking gun out of his hand, and then I killed all his friends. Wait, is this being recorded? <laughs> Good.
2: Good. <laughs> Play it back later because I want to be able to then transcribe it into my diary. Um, let's go over here to. Um, here's Walker. Walker in Louisiana. You're on the Run and show.
6: Hey, Ronnie. That's a good dirty hairy.
2: Hey, buddy. Yeah. Thanks, buddy.
6: Hey, uh, I'm a former uh, military intelligence guy and. Uh, Never received any information from somebody that was was tortured. Uh, Never gained information from assets uh, being tortured. However, uh, would take any information I could get, however I get it, and be happy to have it.
2: Um, Now, here's the, the deal on that, like I said. I think you just can't get caught. I think you just, it's one of those, like, do the cops do some weird things? Yeah. And then if they're caught, they're fucking out. They would have to keep this a fucking secret and not listen to the kind of people who yell out, we ought to cut all their heads off. And you know, that don't get pumped up and think that that kind of furor is going to stay. You know what I mean? Because people will do shit if when they're panicked and they'll agree to shit when they're panicked and then then when they're not panicked they will fucking start rat each other out so you're not going to be able to stay with this now walker i got to ask you this have you ever seen the tv show homeland
6: watch it religiously this this two well two weeks ago i was on the edge of my seat could not I almost didn't want to watch tv anymore after that could not take it
2: and, and does is, any of that stuff brushes truth for you?
6: It is it is spot on. The only problem I had with, with the homeland was, and this may be getting too deep for some folks, but the, the biggest problem I had was the uh, when they're in the CIA room at, at, in the embassy. Yeah, uh, you got your you got your drone pilots in yeah. the room there. That's not how it works. Those guys are over at Creech Air Force Base in Nevada or Beale Air Force Base in uh, California. Uh, flying remotely from there. They're not in the embassy room.
2: But could you also like can the pictures be so close that you see dudes walking around the way that they, they have those Absolutely. drone shots? Absolutely.
6: It is spot on. It is spot on. Wow. I I could Ronnie B I I could watch I could look in the Fez's room and see kind of weird stuff he's doing in his apartment. Really? Jesus yeah.
2: That's fucking wild.
6: Yeah, we need to do that. We need that. that would be a good way to check in on Fez. We'll stone them up.
2: So, Walker, how long were you with Military Intelligence?
6: Uh, four years active duty. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Mainly, uh, mainly well, as the Air Force, we did a lot of joint ops. Mm
1: hmm. Mm-hmm. And
6: but again, uh, that was that was mid '90s. So, uh, you know, the a, a real good kind of an idea of what I saw. Uh, Patriot Games was was pretty spot on from. You know, that came out in like ninety four, ninety five and um you kinda you, you you can see things happening uh on screen there and that's that's kinda the way it really played out. It was pretty close there too.
2: All right, thanks so much for calling us, buddy. Peace. Merry
6: Christmas guys, love you.
2: Same deal. Uh eight six six run zero fez. Eight six six run zero fez. Here is um here's Jason. Jason, you're on the run and Fez show.
6: Right, a million bucks. But look one of the, I wanted to ask your question. Well, I read the report last night. One of the reasons there's so much information that Diane Feinstein and them were able to find is that they outsourced this. They the government and the Bush administration approved they spent hundred and eighty million dollars for people to do this interrogation. It wasn't all by the CIA, a bulk of it was done by Blackwater and other contractors. So they didn't have a choice but to keep records and that's
2: where a lot of the information came from well, see that there's making, also a, that's also such a, a strange thing that uh, and I remember reading the the Blackwater Rolling Stone article at least ten years ago and uh you know the weird thing is like guys used to work in the you know military retire. And then go into the private sector working in corporations, some of them just working in management positions, but some doing security, you know, like the guys that we have security here are all ex-cops. New York cops Because they know their way around yeah. town, and they know what to do if something comes up, so it works out for the corporation. Yeah,
6: and but, but the point is they were making millions, $180 yeah. million dollars they were making, so that incentivizes them to find more people that they can call candidates. Well, you're groups. also talking a- about
2: different thing. This is ex-military guys who now in the private sector can do whatever they want to do because they don't have the government oversight that they did before.
6: Well, and it's not the ex-military guys. We're talking about a boardroom full of businessmen who are making decisions about whether to torture or not based on profit margins. We all know when something's wrong when we see it. Yeah. And what happened over there was wrong. We cannot become what we fight against. That's the greatest people. We have always had a nation that existed based on the rule of law. And when the rule of law is lost, then we're the, we are that light shining on a hill. And when we no longer live by the rule of law, what hope does any other freedom-loving people around the world have?
2: Well, Here's the thing. Now that we are this culture that is kind of thug meets redneck, I'm not sure if we are the fucking, the bright, shining city on the hill anymore. I think we're bullshitting ourselves most of the time.
6: We could be, once again, if we allow people to come before prophets and we allow the law to be once again blind, but everyone's treated equal. Man, I love
2: you guys. Great show. Jason, I have to tell you, in my experience, I haven't seen anyone not put profit first across the board. And uh anytime that you hear differently, I think that you're being sold. Were the United think, States a profit? I think that that you know, Chris was Fucking hysterical yesterday when he talked about the Superman and he goes if he you know grew up he was brainwashed by the Russians, not wondering if he's been brainwashed by capitalism and corporations. That if you look at Chris Stanley and you're what thirty nine years old? What
3: one thirty You look
2: like shit. All right. In your life, the amount of commercials that was delivered to you. On a constant basis, buy, 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 money, 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 diamonds, sneakers, cars, blah, blah, blah. To not see that as brainwashing is an interesting thing to me. I think across the board, we bought into money first and win first. Jesus Christ. Our fucking favorite sport in this country is football. And the second someone is hurt... They're done. I just saw a thing yesterday uh, about Kaepernick now joining RG3 as uh, a guy who just didn't make it. Yeah, A guy who fucking was just a one-hit wonder. This is a young man who went to a Super Bowl the following year, went to the championship game, and this year is being talked about as if he has no future, as well as the coach of that team who took them there. Because if you're not winning constantly, you're shit in this country. You are shit, and you can be disposed of. Um, here is uh, here's Hunter. Hunter, you're on the Runa Fez show.
6: Hey, guys. Um, just wanted to say that I'm not surprised uh, a lot of people are outraged by this. Mm-hmm. But I think you'd be more hard-pressed to find... Uh, people who have served in the military to oppose this because, you know, if you've seen combat, you've seen that lifestyle or had to live it, um, you're probably more prone to accepting that type of treatment to your enemy because uh, you you don't get any sympathy from them. Also, I was going to say, if you have an opinion and you're against it, I wonder if your opinion would be the same, um, you know, if you had a a kid fighting in the army or something like that, where, you know, would waterboarding be worth, you know, saving somebody's life, possibly. I I don't know. (laughs)
2: Uh, You can make the same, like I said, no one puts up with this with our police force. No one would say, every time we had a missing person in this country, do we start rounding up people and torturing them? We don't do that. We know on a gut level that it's wrong.
4: And for keeping all of this information secret, like the, the guy earlier who said the public shouldn't know, if someone was being tortured illegally by the U.S. government or any other agency, I think you would want that story to be able to get out
2: there. You'd want to- who are you saying that to? Though you don't think that the government should have secrets? You don't think that the CIA should have secrets? To me, the thing that is the fuck up is how does these secrets get out? I totally get. That you need secrets. But once it gets out, somebody has to fucking take the fall for this if we're going to have the high moral ground. It's, it's hypocrisy, what I'm saying, but it's also common sense. You can't have it both ways. You cannot have it fucking both ways. And the public, as freaked out as if they were staying after 9-11, are not going to stay that way. You're, they're not going to stay freaked out. If you went around the most people now, you'd have to spend a couple minutes talking to them before you could even get that fear built back up that they felt all around the country after 9-11. Um, here is... Um, let's go to Charles. Charles, you're on The Run of fest Show.
6: Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Um, I mean, I, I'm saying, you know, we want to we want to know the information. We we want to know where all these people are that are threatening through the threatening other people or whatever. Yeah, but you know, how are we going to get the information if we don't do something? That how do the police the get the
2: information of? in this country?
6: Well, that that depends. We never really know what they do outside of interrogation. Yeah,
2: but we I mean, do. These things come up, and if the police. Uh, are torturing someone, that chicken's brought to light and everyone goes fucking crazy like it's the worst thing that they've ever heard in their life. I get it, but on the other hand, you have to understand, if you're going to fucking break the law, right? Yeah. You're going to do the same thing as a criminal. You can't get caught. Because you now are a criminal. That's the fucking point. Those are the rules. And here's the thing. Is there, let's say, you know, there's a threat on something, blah, 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 right? Is there anything more important than that threat? And we in this country say yes. It's that moral ground, that sense of law that we were talking about. That is actually even more important than your safety. I'll give you a fucking example right here. Because a lot of people calling in that are pro-torture are also pro-gun. Right? And the fact is, could we keep the schools safer, blah, blah, blah? There's a chance that's true. But you think the Second Amendment is more important. You don't want to give up your personal gun. You don't want your amendment fucked with. That's your... Moral high ground. That's where you're using the law for what you believe in. Um, Steve, you're on the Run of Feds show.
6: Hey, Ron. Hey, uh, first, uh, that nice unmasked uh, classic. Thanks, buddy. If, if, if you could bottle that stuff. Uh, second, um, uh, I think we forget that day. I have a cousin who, her last memory of her father, is going to work, and now all she gets to do is go look at a YouTube video of him deciding to jump out the window. Mm. Uh, that's remembered. memory. So let's let's keep this in the perspective. Second, this is not, I don't consider this torture when all we're doing is scaring somebody. And This is what separates us from the other countries. We didn't sit there and say, because we have all the abilities, how can we hurt this person to a point to make a talk? We slice with an ass it on them, torture, them, twist this ankle, this joint manipulation, something like that, beat their feet like they do in other countries, or tie their hands behind their back, lift them up there let like let they did the John McKay. No, we came up with a way to scare somebody without But
2: but here's the thing. We've already set up what we consider torture and not torture, correct? So right. we already have what we think is acceptable. In this, this country of this the way you can interrogate torture. a prisoner, right?
6: This was only considered torture by one political party, not by the society and not that, by the
2: That government. would not be true. What you're no, saying, that—that that is actually not true. The Democrats have no right to be able to stand up and say this thing would have to go to a court of law and be discussed, period. There's no other way around it. But the fact is, if we say this is what is acceptable and this is not acceptable, this country says that, what do you do with guys who go beyond that? If you t- eh, let, let me say this. If a fucking girl is missing, right, in Chris's neighborhood, and they know that there's a bad dude in the neighborhood who interacts with all the other bad dudes, and they go to his house... And pistol whip him, right? Oh, no. Have the cops broken the law? Yes. But he ended up giving up the name of the girl. Right? Right. Have they broken the law?
4: Yes, they've still broken the law.
2: Are they out as cops? Yes. So why, if you feel that way, why would this be any different whatsoever? You know, you don't need anybody to really tell you what torture is, but we have set it up. The military knows exactly what fucking torture is. The point is, what do you do with people when they go beyond that? And you just said, Fezzi, that that little girl's life wasn't worth doing that for. You just said there is something more important than safety. This is the fucking shit that we sit around and fight about all the time. My thing is, if you're going to go beat that motherfucker up, no one can find out about it. Nobody. Maybe I fucking understand the criminal mind better than I understand the street mind. But if you're going to not pay your taxes, don't get fucking caught not paying your taxes. Don't sit there fucking dumbfounded. it. You know, if anything else is like, oh, you got me. I've been working under the table for my brother-in-law. Everybody fucking knows when you don't pay your taxes, you're taking a risk. If you're stepping outside the law, you're taking a risk with the law. What is so hard to understand about that? Um, Cornelius in Wyoming, you're on the Run of show.
6: Hey, this Cornelius. How are you doing? Hey, buddy. All right. Hey, listen, I believe that we as Americans, all of us, uh, we have a right to defend our way of life. And whatever it takes to maintain that, whether it be in the open or kept a secret, and I think that's good, keeping it secret if Americans do not need to go,
5: Everything that's going on. So but Julius,
2: like you you are against our way of life. What you are saying is against our way of life. You there in Wyoming, where you couldn't be any safer from terrorists, are making terrorist statements. No, no, no.
6: Whatever it takes to maintain our way of life. What, when you
2: say protect. whatever it takes, then we have no fucking rights. You've eliminated the rights the law is what protects us not the fucking
4: guns that would mean we could just go ahead and nuke Iran or Iraq wipe out generations of people so that uh, you know the bad guys in there aren't reproducing
6: no 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 no. that's not what I'm saying
1: whatever Whatever it
6: takes whatever it takes to defend our land we don't go overseas and kill people that's not our job our job is defending our land our people here
2: I think that whatever fucking threats that in history to our rights came from the whatever it takes thing. That you've got r you've got to evolve and rise above the whatever it takes. Because whatever it takes is is from a fearful fucking place. And when we sat down and did the Constitution, we were attempting to rise above fear. That's why we you know we, we treat these founding fathers as if they were saints. I mean, people talk about the Bible, but in this country, what do we really honor? The Constitution. We give the Constitution, and we worship it in the way that the the ancient people used to worship the Bible. We go over the Constitution and fight about it every single day. That's where it takes place in a court of law, not because someone's fucking freaked out. At the time. And by the way, how many uh, military interrogators you think didn't torture? I, I'm sure we're going to go most did not torture. A high, 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 high percentage figuring out how to do this job without torturing people. Here's Carmen in Oklahoma. You're on the fest show. Carmen. Oklahoma. Once, twice. Lost you, buddy. Um, let's go over here to Jerry in Virginia. You're on the Run and Fez show.
9: Hey there. Uh, I'm a big fan, uh, but uh, I knew there was going to be a uh, shit hitting in the fan when this report came out, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, but the bigger question for me, and it always has been, is uh, why there are hundreds and hundreds of these cats over in uh, Cuba being held without due process when they, we know that the majority of them were in the wrong place at the wrong time and uh, uh, probably just defending their country just like we would if somebody came over you know, and invaded us. Uh, and I'm certainly uh, not a left-winger, but uh, there's so many of those guys that ought to be able to go home.
2: And- I think that they're, we're petrified to fucking release those guys now.
3: Yeah, well, because we've, we've made enemies whole, for life. And all their families. Yeah. yeah <laughs> they gotta, whole, get back into the world. Of, uh,
9: bad guys now who were probably, probably okay. I worked at a university for 30 years, and uh, most of those guys from the Middle East used to uh, look both ways before they would ask the question, but they would always ask me, why do you guys think you can go just anywhere you want and impose your will? And I would have to say, I'm not really sure. Why we think that
2: you know? one of the reasons why we did that is because at some point we really believed we had the moral high ground that we could look over into Africa, see a dust up there, and be able to point out, hey this side of this is morally right, and we will su- and we will back them over the other side but it, I, I think it's gotten very, very gray i 'm certainly when I talk to um right. Libertarians who want to pull everything back. I go, yeah. I, 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 I think there might be some smart ideas of that. Ted in San Diego, you're on the Ron Fez show.
1: Hey Ronnie. Hey buddy. Hey, uh,
6: you had mentioned a real hot button in California, and that is Colin Kaepernick. Okay. Now, and you had also mentioned that. These guys are expected to win all the time, which they are. I mean, that's a fact of life. But I'll give you a perfect example to the answer of Colin Kaepernick, and that is Philip Rivers in San Diego that has won consistently for the last seven or eight years with a mediocre team. People are telling saying that Colin Kaepernick is a one-hit wonder, and that's exactly what he is. Yes, they're expected to win all the time. Absolutely. No question about it. But these these guys accept that responsibility, and the, like I said, the perfect example is Philip Rivers.
2: I, I, I got news Europe. for you. I wonder how well Philip Rivers would be accepted in a New York, Philadelphia, Boston. I wonder if they would say about him if he choked and you know he choked when it matters. Uh, We'd be pissed. Philip
6: Rivers is not a choker. Philip Rivers is not a choker. That's a fact. I mean, he's proven it over the last seven or eight years. The, y- the way where- <laughs> that you
2: prove it in that league, like you said, when we say win, we don't mean just halfway. Uh, Philadelphia had guys with very high fucking percentages during the regular season who lost, and they're kind of despised there now.
3: If Rivers was in a bigger market, there would have been other quarterbacks drafted behind him. And they b- could possibly be starting. I mean, he's injured and he hasn't won a fucking Super Bowl.
2: Well, this year he's not injured. He's having a hell of a fucking year. I know you don't. I know you like to go back and use stuff from a year or two ago. He had a
3: good first half. He's, his ribs are fucked up now.
2: So you feel like his season's over?
3: The season's over for the for the Chargers.
2: There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. These people San the "I have nothing to live for." Um. Here's Jim and Yonkers. You're on the Run and Fest show.
8: Hey, Cousins. How you doing? Hey, cousin. Uh, okay. Well, I guess we shouldn't waterboard Philip Rivers, who was the one before this. But what, what I really wanted to say was, for all the people who are either condoning this or act- actively pro-torture, there's no evidence this actually works. In the summary report that they released yesterday, there were 20 specific instances that the, either the head of the CIA or somebody in the... Cheney administration said we got information from this that helped save lives and that they went through the records and then each each instance that was claimed they disproved it by saying they either already had the information or they they received it at the same time by other means so I, I'm not sure it's worth giving up whatever moral high high ground we like to claim for something that doesn't work, and it's really just amounts to bloodlust.
2: Right, I'm going to leave you on, Jim, because Jason disagrees with you and says torture is the only thing that works. Go ahead, Jason.
6: Hey, how you doing? Hey, buddy. Look, I'm a, I'm a 20-year military veteran. I just left Afghanistan not four months ago. I'm not saying that torture is the only thing that works, but it does work, all right? When When we do things like this, it's not to say that we're, we have the moral high ground. It's not to sit there and say that we're better than these people, all right? The media is what's causing all the trouble in throughout war. I mean, the greatest, the greatest people in history that we claim was the World War I and World War II veterans. There's a reason why they were the greatest generation. The media was not there. There was no media. And what media was there was the stars and stripes stating
2: how great we were doing throughout the war. Look, I, I, I had news That's for you, you Jason. War and I have I, in every war. I. Jason, I first of all, you know, thank you for your service and all that. But the only thing worth fighting for is the the rights and freedoms that we have here, and freedom of speech is one of the few reasons that we can sit up and say, "Hey, well, we you, do have a moral high ground." Me, are you kidding me?
6: The military has no freedom of speech. Our votes don't even count in the presidential elections. Because most of us are voting in our own state. so they don't even count. The, the military has no freedom of speech. We I'm talking about the freedom America. of speech we don't for, the... for the freedom of people in America. We fight for that guy that's to the left and to the right of us.
2: That's I, I will tell you this: doing. freedom of the press is one of the few things that we can be incredibly proud of in this country, and to be able to sit there and the people who call this show and say, you know what? Obama is a dick, or Obama is a socialist. Obama is, uh, you know, um, you know, Clinton's a murderer. Whatever you happen to say, Bush is a fucking terrorist. Whatever it is that you can say those things in, in on the radio, or you could write that on the internet, and then lay down at night and sleep peacefully, knowing your doors aren't going to be fucking kicked in, is really one of the places that we can say, "Thank God you're an American." I think
1: it's Absolutely. amazing.
2: Absolutely, but it's because of the things that we do, that the military personnel do. But they the only reason out. that we allow you to do it is so that we can say this is who we are. Right. That's the only reason. The military doesn't come first, dude. The military has to come second. Your job is the to military protect has the never rights. Come
6: first, Ronnie. What's the that? The military has never come first. No. Right? We nor know, should we know that. That we're second class citizens. We understand that. But we don't we don't enlist and we don't fight for America because we know that we're going to get all these benefits and all this other crap that people think. The the crap about thank you for your service and you guys are awesome, that shit's getting tiresome, man. It really is. We're not doing this for the freedom of America or the freedom of press or the freedom of religion or freedom for whatever. We do this for the guy that's to the left and to the right of us. That's why we do it. And-
2: And see, here's, and I know that it's probably like that on the ground, but that doesn't, that is certainly putting the cart before the horse. We're not a military country, nor should we ever be one. No, and I'm not saying that
6: we should ever be a military country. All I'm stating is, all I'm simply trying to say is, is that people sit there and they go against the things that the military does when they have never been in the situation that all of us have been put in.
2: Then you then you should be able to say, I've seen the fucking rules that you've set up for us, and we cannot go overseas following those rules. It cannot be done. And then that would be worth sitting around and talking about. But you don't get to break the law when you're over there. No really, no one's breaking the law. That's the point. My last rules of engagement that I had when I was in
6: Afghanistan was I couldn't fire upon the enemy unless he was in a clear on site. sight. I knew exactly where the weapon was coming from and what type of weapon that he was using. I couldn't fire from it. I'm a terror gun on an M V 22 and I'm at 3,000 feet, but if I'm fired upon, I can't fire back unless I know exactly who's firing at me and what type of fucking weapon they're using.
2: So don't tell us that we're not allowed and that we're breaking the law. We can't even... Well, we can't who even is us telling us you ourselves. that? You're, you're hearing that from the military. right? The military is telling you that.
8: Ron, yeah. I, I respect Jason's Service, and I hear what he's saying, but I think he's conflating two different things here. His rules of engagement, I'm sure he's 100%... Dead on. But the report itself, the, the, the head of the CIA and people in the Bush-Cheney administration made specific claims about how using torture got information that they wouldn't otherwise have gotten. And these are top-level guys, so, so what they're saying they should be held to. And in each instance in this report, It was proven that they were lying to Congress, they were lying to the press, and in some cases they were lying to the President. So I'm not indicting the whole military, I'm not indicting everybody in the CIA. But the people who are running this program, and it's it's a subset of the Bush-Cheney administration, are responsible for war crimes. Jason is not, I'm sure. Uh, And Jason, I
2: also think that we put you guys into an impossible situation. Impossible. Absolutely.
6: and I'm not educated or, or or smart enough to understand the the outcomes of how torture works or if it's if it's applicable during wartime or during peacetime or if it works or if it doesn't work. And I understand that, Ronnie. All I'm simply trying to state is if you were there, this gentleman that's on the phone with me right now, yeah. if you were there and you saw what these people were doing to us, all right, to, our, to our friends and our brothers in arms, and we want to sit here and we want to say, oh, we're doing torture. It's a horrible thing. We shouldn't be doing it. We're going against everything that we said that we are. That's exactly who we are. That is exactly who the American people is. That's exactly who the, who the military is. We're not the golden child children of the U.S., we're not the golden children of the world. We're not the world's 911. We're going to do whatever it takes to get done. When you look on the news, you don't see the 16 MB-22 division flight that I was in that was dropping off over $130 million worth of medical aid and food to the people of, these, of this nation. You did not see any of that. But all you hear are the reports coming out about how we're torturing these people, how we're killing children, how we're doing all this bad stuff, when the people of Afghanistan have profited from us being there. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars have been poured into this country, along with Iraq, and along with all the other countries that we've fought. We go back in and we rebuild these countries. People don't ever see that. All they see is the agenda that America is out there trying to force our will on people. That's not I, what we're I, trying Jason, to do. I
8: don't, I, I, Jason, I don't think that's true. I think people understand and respect the military there. It's these guys who are coloring outside the lines for political agendas and doing awful things. We, what my concern is to separate them from, from the service people who are over there doing their job the way you're doing, the way you're describing it. I've got total respect for that.
6: But you keep saying that we're coloring outside the lines, and I understand where you're coming from, but it's not coloring outside the lines. When you sit there and you watch somebody kill one of your best friends because they decided to drop an IED in a spot that they know that you travel over and over again. So if I grab that person that's doing that IED laying, and I torture him, and I get information, whether it works or not, or his buddy gets up information, and it saves two or three of my Marines, you say, I'm right, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it every fucking time. Because it's going to save that that Marine to the left and to the right of me. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to give him lollipops. I'm going to pat him on the ass and say, thanks for the information. No, I would torture that person until either they're dead or I get the information I need. If I don't get the information, I'm going to find his friend. I'm going to do the same thing to him. That's how we protect ourselves.
2: But Jason, you haven't tortured anybody.
8: And if you did, I wouldn't admit it on the radio.
2: Okay. Uh, Jason, thanks for being on the air with us today.
6: Ronnie, it's always a pleasure. I love you guys' show, man. Thanks
2: a lot. I appreciate you being on here, Jim. Thank you so much for being on today.
6: Okay, thanks.
2: All right, see ya. It's a hot-button issue. Luckily, this is Raw Dog, where we handle all the hot-button issues. Like this one right here, from Cooch in Arizona. You're on the hey, Ronnie Cousin. Fed Show. Doing, buddy? Yeah, hey, cousin.
6: Hey, uh, Philip Rivers absolutely is a choke artist, man. If you look at his playoff record, he's three and four. He's thrown eight touchdowns, but he's thrown nine picks. And I don't know if that's a, you know, North Turner. Phillip I'm Rivers telling
2: you,
1: that, that, it
2: would be tough to play in fucking like, Chicago, in Washington, D.C., in Boston, before people started to to be on top of that shit. They get pissed off. Uh, Kyle, you're on the Running Show. What's going on, buddy? Hey.
6: So we're about to watch the, uh, the Hick curse come back around and go into full swing here. You just said that the, uh, the Chargers are done. So everybody go take out a second mortgage. The are going to win the Super
2: Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> it's funny, but I just went and looked over the rest of their schedule.
3: How's it look?
2: Oh, now that you've <laughs> given them your
3: blessing. Yeah.
2: Feeling good about them.
3: No, no chance. They don't have a running game.
2: Does it seem like anybody can beat the Packers? If, I mean, if it's the Super Bowl today, it's the Packers win, right?
3: Yeah, Packers win, uh, and Rodgers gets that second gets that second ring. I mean, he's he's a robot. Nothing can stop him. He hasn't thrown an interception in years. Their running game is ridiculously good at this point. And their defense blows. Blows. Did you see what the fucking Falcons did to him
2: the other night? Yeah. And that's playing in Green Bay. How are they going to do when there aren't a bunch of fucking Green Bay people... You know, throwing snowballs and fucking whatever they do up there. They skate to the game or whatever. I
3: think they pour cheese on the field. Uh, it's fucking nice. starving.
2: We never have any cheese around
3: here. I know. I can go over some nice mozzarella right now.
2: It's a big chunk I feel of like it. sending you overseas and seeing what you can do to chill everybody
3: out, Chris. I, I'll, I'll go. I'll go to Dubai. Put me up in a nice hotel. I'll start taking meetings. Dubai is where we're talking about. <laughs> oh well, that's I, that could be my base of operations over yeah, there. Yeah, that's
2: about eight thousand miles away from where we need to be. And by the way, you'd be busted so fast in Dubai, <laughs> you'll
3: probably get busted down in DC. Don't say that. Don't say things like that. I don't want to get busted in another state. I bet
2: you'll be arrested and pulled off the fucking
3: train. Please, on the way come, down there. Come on, I'll
2: fucking, I got ten bucks saying that you don't make it past Wilmington, Delaware.
3: <laughs> now I'm gonna be really fucking paranoid on that train right now. By the now. way,
2: you and Fez are bunking up together.
3: Oh, really?
2: Yeah, one fucking bed. <laughs>
3: One wild night. I'm taking the floor. I'm not sleeping in that no, bed. No, do f- that
2: thing where you, you take the sheet make it into a curtain.
3: he couldn't get my own room? This is ridiculous. Oh, yeah, we could. Oh. We just refused to. Why force this on me?
2: We thought it was funny. I'm not even staying in the same hotel as you
3: guys. Really?
2: I don't want to stay up all night listening to two guys butt slamming.
3: There won't be. All right. If we're staying together, I'm not having sex with them. That's what you say now Go ahead You go ahead and believe that Ain't gonna happen, man I don't know why not I'm not gay Why
2: does he gotta go there, Fez? Because he's homophobic You are homophobic
3: Then
2: fucking prove it If you're not homophobic Crawl naked in the bed with Fez uh,
3: Prove it uh, No
2: Now who's the homophobe? Chris is Yeah That was redundant I <sighs> got this, the read on the train, the package from Janice in Chicago. I'm glad it got here. I was worried about it. Sure, it was fucking taken apart with your weed boxes.
3: I'm going to do my own investigation. I'm going to do a reverse sting on the uh, mailroom. because
2: I don't know how, if you know how mad we are at you for keeping us away from meeting the Royals the other night. I don't know why you just wouldn't have went with that thing. It
3: kept me up last we night. We
2: would have had the time of our lives. A historic night.
3: And now we what we got? We got nothing. No. I mean, we would have had the tickets way we, before any was announced. We would have been there. We would have been there in the and fucking... And this is the
2: first year our Christmas dinner was just going to the same one as the rest of the humps down on the
3: first oh. floor. The food usually isn't very good. I eat a lot of it, but... You know, that's because I get pretty deep into the drink.
2: What's the night of that?
3: The seventeenth. They announced. Is
2: it a Thursday? It's a Wednesday. Wednesday.
3: And uh, what time? Five to seven. am we'll gonna check the holiday gathering email that was sent out to everyone. I, I'm not on the email list. I don't keep <laughs> an account here. It's good.
2: Eric, you're on the run of Fez's show.
3: Five to seven.
6: What's going on, cousins? Hey, cousin. Hey, cousins. Hey, Ronnie, I just wanted to make sure that you wasn't going to let Shelby ship out that helmet to
4: Mr. Fishball.
2: Good fucking call. Fez, you're on helmet shipping duty.
3: I will ship the helmet.
2: That sounds dirty and homophobic.
3: Yeah. Or now, at least erotic. No, now he's the homophobe. I'm oh, not anymore.
2: Andrew, you're on the run of Fez's show. Hey, cousin.
6: Hey, cousin. Hey, uh, Ronnie B., you better tell that Rube, Chris Stanley, uh, that the mini bar's not for free. I know he likes a little bar at night.
2: Yeah. I will tell you this, the mini bar is not for free, but the rim jobs are, Chris. Oh, God. So if you're having trouble sleeping.
3: I'd rather have a tiny bottle of Jack Daniels.
2: Than getting your ass eaten?
3: <laughs> now who's gay? I know
2: I'm not. You're supposed to answer that with me. I am. That's what you're supposed to say. Me, I am. We gotta bolt out of here too.
3: Yeah. We're going straight to the <laughs> jump straight on the train.
2: We need a black car. We got a black car. Take us straight to the train.
3: Uber it up. Most of them are black cars. Ubers. You want to do the Uber thing? It's fun, Uber. You've done it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've used Uber before. What's it cost compared to to the sixes? Uh slightly more. Then why would we pay? But know what the worst thing about Uber is? No, I don't want to... The wanna... higher prices. <laughs> if it's raining, or if there's a lot, if there's a lot of traffic in your area, they'll have, they'll be a thing like, all right, I want a cab. Well, now the rates are two and a half to three and a half times what they uh, normally, normally are. That's what it always is around this building. You're never,
4: like, just around this area. It's like two and a half times, like, price surging. It's ridiculous. You- you'd much rather go with a cab.
2: We're Midtown. Uh, unlike you, we're not sitting around fucking counting our pennies. Strap hanger.
3: It's making rain.
2: Yeah. We're turning this into the fucking greatest of all time. Uber party. We're going on the quiet car. Um, Robbie says uh, people are already turning on Drew Brees. That's what happens. Yeah. Now just imagine if you had the people working at, looking at you at work, Chris, the way they look at a oh, no. at a fucking quarterback. It's insane.
3: you guys would have drafted a new producer long ago and I've been like, I'm out, I guess I've got to be picked up.
2: Well look at you the youth we have behind you. you <laughs> fucking lucky prick
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, this's got some left in this SR. We got RG blow me fucking lined up behind you
3: It's Dan Snyder's boy. Well, I'll believe it when I say it.
2: I think Dan Snyder eventually wants to win too, doesn't he? Isn't that the whole point of being him?
3: He wants to win? It's a weird obsession with RG3. It's suppose it's been three seasons now? Yeah, but
2: the guy started phenomenal. He was the quarterback. Not only was he going to be the quarterback for the future, but you better look and play like him in the future if you're going to be a quarterback in that league.
3: Well, now we got Johnny Football starting this weekend. So we're going to see the future. That midget. They're playing the Bengals. Did you see that? No
2: the Cincinnati coach said, no, we're not scared. We're not scared of a midget. And then he had to turn around and apologize to the Little People Association of America. And he's like, hey, I didn't mean midget that way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That argument. But that is a legitimate argument, right? He didn't mean it that way. In proportion, okay? Look, football players
3: are very tall.
2: Well, quarterbacks are generally taller than six foot. But there's no place in in other than sports that you're going to be mocked out <laughs> for being six foot. Basketball will always get on a guy that's 6'3", 6'4". six4 they'll fucking call him dwarf or midget during the game. Or the other M or D words.
3: Okay, I gotcha.
2: Fez is not running to their aid because he's not a midget. Now, if it was the gay thing, he'd be sobbing, and this is imagine, the worst thing that ever imagine happened. Imagine if you called the other ref for it to yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs>
3: That'd be the it's, fucking... He'd cre- have been screaming
2: at all during the other conversations we were having. <laughs> Alright, we break. We're back. Run and
7: finish a And now, uh, ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> and Fez on Raw Dog Comedy Hits Hits. Channel 99
2: Show and what I can only imagine could be called reverse bragging. Uh, Chris Stanley was just telling me that his shirt was less than two dollars.
3: Yeah, uh, see, like I, I've mentioned before, I, I shop at the dollar store because they sell clothes very cheaply because they're but not for a dollar. No, not for a dollar. Well, some things are a dollar, other things, you know, like two or three. So you get like a three-pack of shirts for like... What annoys you more
2: in life? People who brag about how expensive something is or how cheap something is. Because they both are on my nerve. <laughs> they both <laughs> fucking think they're better than me. That's what I can't stand. I used to have this uncle. And uh, he would always come over to our house, right? And uh, no matter what we had, he was like, I wish you would have told me before. So I got a guy who got that for you cheaper. What do you pay for this paneling? Ali, I wish you would have told me. I could have got either the same paneling for at least half price.
3: It's the people um, bragging about cheapness is what is what gets me more annoyed. Because A, I get pissed because why didn't you let me know? And then B... It, I don't think anyone's more of a dick than
2: a bottle club dude who brags... About dropping fifteen hundred on a fucking
3: bottle of champagne. I think that guy's a dick, but it's like, like I'm not, I wouldn't. I just think that person's stupid. Like I would never spend x whatever amount of money it was for that. Whereas the the, the cheap people are like shit. I I could do that. Oh, I should have gotten a piece of that. So I get angry at that. The the people brag about how much something costs. Like you're a dick anyway. How much you pay for that shirt? 175.
2: If I you wish break you would have told me. I could have got you yeah, a fucking gross for the same thing. Motherfucker. I got I a, a buddy of mine. He gets me gross as a shirt. See this fucking gross yeah. shirt, what do you mean? Yeah. Uh, they actually paid me money to wear it. How's you? Because I, I got this thing for Summit Beef on the back, you know. I wear an ad for Summit Beef on the back. You no, know, I don't mind wearing so Summit the, Beef stuff. Why didn't you let me know? If if you could get paid, you walk around like you were a NASCAR driver. <laughs> yes. You piece of fucking garbage. <laughs> Scratch it. <laughs> I'm going fucking crazy at this place. I'm wearing this Yankees hat. They don't pay me dick. Isn't that funny that you do that? That you're promoting the Yankees, and they, then people will yell at people at a ball game for not promoting the team.
3: They don't care about me.
2: Now the I saw this with the bowl games. Uh, Nike has already updated the clothing of all the teams that are p- playing. So if you're a Florida State fan, you're wearing the
3: wrong fucking shirt. Go out and buy your new shirt. Bro, why don't you have the Nike edition? Oh, my God.
2: I hope the fucking, the midget-hating Bengals destroy
3: Johnny Football. I don't see good things happening for Johnny.
2: I was watching the PTI show last night, and... The PTIs were a little mad that the old football players on ESPN and the other shows hate Johnny Manziel without even saying them. They
3: all despise him. They, they're thinking they're haters?
2: Yeah, they hate us. They hate us.
3: Unbelievable. You got to give him some, you got to give him a chance, Johnny, Full. sure. He's brash. Yes, his style of play is not the safest. But you still got to see what you can do with the, with the Browns. I and mean, the Browns haven't been terrible this year. They have a winning record. Then why would you put them in? You fucking dope. Because Hoyer's been falling apart. Phone just went off.
2: Why wouldn't it? That's what fucking phones do. It's on
3: silent, though. How'd that Where's happen? Where's your guest today? I believe what the last guest is just uh, signed in. So it'll be moments. So you were supposed to have your guest at what time? One forty-five. No, this was sports. Everybody
2: be pissed at you. You don't have to dime me. Um, Chris Buffalo, you're on the Run Fish Show. My
5: name is
2: Yeah, what's up, Chris? Hey
5: man, I got a moral conundrum, man, and I need, and I need your assistance. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! It's a moral conundrum. Conundrum. Go ahead, buddy. I dig this. So, past, you know, 10 years, I've been doing roofing and, you know, winter's out here in Buffalo. We do indoor work. I recently got my first real job ever, you know, they gave me a a company car company credit card, good money. Uh, But it's really part of the machine, the red tape. Uh, You know, I can't help but think what I do is I'm a lost claims representative. If somebody wants to take out a new home insurance policy on their home, I go to their house, uh, I take photos of it, and, I'm, and I write up recommendations. If there's not a hand railing, if there's cracks in the sidewalk, this type of thing, and they can be dropped or their rates will be raised. And so when I think about the house that I was raised in, I'd have to write my old man up, you know, for four at least four write-ups. And he's just trying to get by, and here I am, I'm doing this. The families and guys that are just getting by and it fucking eats me up, and I, I don't know if the money in that is even you know I, I don't know what to do.
2: That's got to be your call, dude. I could understand how it destroys you though. Uh, all right, Ronnie. That's got to be Thanks. your call though. I couldn't tell you what to do, but that is a hard thing. He's saying the shit that he's asked to do for his his company of hitting these poor people up. Raising the rates, if he had to do that, he turns around and he goes, he'd have to do that to his own dad. That's a fucking awful world we live in. You know, sometimes I think ISIS is right about us. But don't say that. You know what, you're right. I probably went too far when I said ISIS is nope, right. I
3: probably did go too
2: far. But I, don't, I think they're right about the insurance companies.
3: Oh. I think we all agree to that. They should go at. They should just target insurance companies, creditors. They're never going to do
2: that. They never do shit <laughs> what like <happened>? that. <laughs> you imagine how many ISIS fans there'd be
3: in this country? They need someone branding them differently. And it's not just America, just parts of it. What are you to destroy parts
2: of America, the annoying parts? <laughs> I don't know where I think I went. Suddenly Russian, like there for a second, I felt like I had it, but then I was Arnold Schwarzenegger.
3: There's some Russian Muslims. In Chechnya, Georgia. They're not nicest, though, are they, motherfucker? No, but they're pretty crazy. Has anyone
2: done the the parody because of those young girls? And I want to join ISIS. ISIS.
3: No, but let's get started on it.
2: Now, I thought Homeland went too far, but now that that military intelligence guy is telling me it's dead on, I'm glad I stuck with it through the zany season. And the
3: rainy season. I dropped off. Did you see it was snowing out right now? No. Yeah, it was snowing out. How the fuck did I miss that? I saw it down that hallway. There's there's snow. There's a flurry there, happening. What do we play for Snow, Chris? What
2: song do we play for Snow? Where are you going?
3: I'm going to go get that
2: song. What? Well, hold on. Why would you have to go get it?
3: Because I know exactly where it is in the let. And nobody else does? Well, I find it the fastest.
2: Alright, do you think it should be difficult that we find these things? Shouldn't we have our own thing that we go to for songs that the Ronald Fest show u- uses? We have it,
3: but it's faster to just search it.
7: That's mm-hmm. insane. Just
3: forget it, then. It should have been up by now.
7: I'm told they have it.
3: It's
2: too late now. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's all too weird. Oh, plus, our guests are here. Hey, what's happening? Hi. Hello, ladies. We have Christine Evans here
4: from The Stand in New York Christine. City. Hi. Rebecca Trent's here from The Creek in the Cave in Queens. And Amy Hawthorne is with us from ComedyGroupie.com and
2: TheInterroBang.com. I wouldn't say so much Queens, but the very fashionable Long Island City. <laughs> and that, I don't know whether you just saw this, there was a thing that, that's now considered one of the best places in America to live, and the best places in America to uh, get food.
10: (laughs) That's true. I don't know how this happens. (laughs) It was also named by the Lonely Planet or Lonely Wanderer or something as a best place to visit in 2015,
1: Queens. Wow.
2: Now, let's also get this out of the way, Christine. I go to the New York Times this morning, as I always do, (laughs) and oddly... Oddly, there is a write-up on Big J. Okerson.
0: Big J! That's it, crazy. It's a write-up that he will neither read nor look at the pictures. I, <laughs> I sent him a
2: text this morning saying, Hey, old Yenta. And uh, I haven't heard back from him yet.
0: He asked me, he goes, Did somebody call me an old Yenta? <laughs>
2: yeah. Read the article. It's nice, though. See, here's the thing, because... All people know is, oh, you're in the New York Times. They're not going to read it. <laughs> They're just going to say New York Times is great. So he won't read or look at it or deal well, with it.
0: No, probably. You know what? I'm sure in about a week he'll he'll sit down. and yeah. read the whole thing. But he he was kind of like he didn't really know exactly what was happening. He just uh, thought it was going to be like a little blurb. He didn't know it was a full article. I read it. I thought it was. I thought it was great. It's the fucking New, the New York, York Times. Times. Exactly. That's great. And a couple years ago, he was, I remember he was uh, not like getting upset, but he was just like all these, you know, between The Village Voice and Time Out New York and all that. He was just never mentioned in anything. Right. And even a couple years ago, actually, Rebecca was featured in it, uh, The Lynchpins in New York comedy. Yeah. I just went through all these people, and Jay's such a staple in New York, and I feel like he hasn't really been given that by the media yet and it seems right. like in the last year it's all kind of coming together. So I was I was super excited I to think see 2015's it. Is I, I think 2015 is his year. I think
2: 2015 is
0: year. Yeah,
2: I'd like to buy stock in that son of a bitch
1: <laughs> right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, why can't
10: we buy stocks in comedy? Yeah, I think that's what managers do, right? Isn't that what? Yeah. yeah. No, they take from
2: day it? one. <laughs> but like to put that open like man What would the? Let's say I bought Kevin Hart at two dollars. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Right now, to sit back and go look how it's paying off. Uh, but you know, bring up the linchpins of comedy. The reason why we wanted to get you ladies in here together is it seems like. Behind the scenes, women are running everything. Am I crazy about that?
0: There, there's no. there are a lot of us. Yeah, there are a lot of us around. Even the the heads of Comedy Central, Joanne and Anne. Yeah, you know, they're they're two girls, and I, I, I it, as much as like, comedy's male dominated in the performance. Right. It does seem to have a lot of females behind the scene, especially uh, in booking.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So why is that? You think
11: ego. Really? I totally think it's the alpha male alpha male thing. You can as a woman get away with being like, "Hey, you know, that wasn't your best set. Maybe you need to do this or you're going through a breakup. Could you wait a week before you start talking about it?" Cuz we nurture
10: people through the art instead of aggress our way through it, maybe.
11: Yeah. I th- I think that it just there's the mom or sister thing that any kind of criticism coming from us doesn't sound as harsh. It doesn't turn into a fight of, "Well, I'm never working here again. I'm never going to book you again. We hate each other. We're done. Screw that guy." So it's almost a problem if
2: a club were to put a man in that role, because it's going to make guys kind of chest up to each other, instead of, you know, work to the next level.
11: Well, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's a problem. I, mean, no, I think Ms. it's a giant problem. <laughs> but could
1: we use
0: gay guys in that role?
10: Absolutely oh, yes. Yes. not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there are, I mean, you know, a, a lot of the bookers at the clubs are men. Louis Ferranda, Benji, Swiss One, now turned into Joe Harrah, Ray at Stanford uh, New York, Tommy at, at The Strip, but a lot of Man, the staples, I mean, guys. Mitzi Shore and Esty, uh, Amy wrote a really uh, really beautiful article over Thanksgiving, just kind of calling out some of the women that work behind the scenes. And What the, was
11: that about, Amy? It was, well, about these two women mm-hmm. and a number of others that I worked with, because interestingly, this conversation has just been coming up a bunch in my regular life between me and other women, some of them in LA who are behind the scenes and also with dudes who are noticing it, that they're like hey, did you ever notice that like it's Rebecca that's really nurturing people and you know, granted that's a little bit sexist to be like, she's a woman so she's nurturing but I'm also don't... a bitch, like it balances out. <laughs> <laughs> but all good moms are, you know what I mean? Like all yeah. good
0: moms have that place that you can't cross you know? That's my favorite when I hear somebody says, that, uh, I hear that somebody's terrified of me, I'm like yes, that's so yes. awesome! Like I, cause I, and I'm we get that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the young boys. like They are scared of us. Which is great. Oh, it's the best. Because I spent so much of my time being scared of everyone around me and wanting Aww. not to mess up and make sure I am doing everything right. <laughs> it's nice to know that there are younger people that are scared of me now. Well, the creek in the cave,
2: uh, every time anybody sits down and writes something up, it always comes back that you seem to have put the art first, which now seems... Insane in today's corporate world, you know, what I mean like yeah everybody sets out to do a good corporate restaurant slash bar which features comedy, but you put the art first
10: Yeah, I wear anything but corporate at the creek. It's it's very it's very different It's very artist forward, and I think that it has to be in order for good comedy to come out, and I've I've been lucky enough to witness the development of hundreds of comedians some of whom have just shot up and it's just been an incredible, incredible journey. But yeah, I mean. But could this
2: be done at other places? Could of, course. This, of course. Could this be done in Akron, Ohio? Of could course. this be done of course. in Birmingham? So I what's think that take? people
10: will go see free comedy in any town. Mm-hmm. I think that will happen. I don't think it necessarily serves every market for there to be a ton of dive bars that are like ambush shows where customers don't even know there's going to be a comedy show, and then suddenly there's some jack-off in the back doing a sound check. Mm-hmm. I don't think that necessarily serves comedy. It definitely serves the artist, you know, but uh, I, I think it kills our 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 potential audiences. And I think that part of what we do at The Creek is also nurturing the audience. And I think you can do that anywhere. There's no reason why... It's weird that I'm even doing it in New York, to be honest with you. It, it kind of makes more sense regionally, I think, than in, in a bigger city. But, uh, but I think a lot of markets could sustain something like that. We don't do drink minimums. You don't have to buy food. You don't mm-hmm. have to buy a ticket. You just come. You watch comedy. You enjoy yourself. There's a lot of other stuff to do in the space if you want to go check other things out. There's pinball. There's, uh, there's a restaurant. There's whatever. But we don't, we don't corporatize that showroom at all. Isn't that it's
2: it's odd though that you do the exact opposite of what they tell you to do, and then the people, the same people who set up the rules, will then turn around and then use you as an example of why it works, why comedy works. Yeah, it it's so funny that we are afraid to to do what feels natural for that space because I think space itself is incredibly important. You know, the
10: space that
2: something is, is done in.
10: I mean, we're in, a, we're in a phase right now of comedy where there's open mics all over the place mm-hmm. and you cannot get on an open mic stage without paying money as an artist. You have to pay for stage time. And when I found that out, like, I just saw red. It made me so furious. And so we, I mean, we have 13 mics a week at the Creek and, and no, no, nobody gets charged a dime. Um, and we do drink specials for them and stuff because we're not trying to make our money off the backs of them, maybe mm-hmm. the backs of the audiences. <laughs> But right. not the backs of them. So, it, you know, and, and we try and sort of, like, throw parties and remind people it's a community. This year we did, uh, we, we had 80 people over for Thanksgiving. And it was all comedians and comedian-adjacent folks and friends of the family and stuff. And it, it, it's an amazing community that can be sustained. And I, 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 I am really, really glad that I get to be a part of it. Well, but just... nobody's getting rich. I think that's <laughs> yeah, I think that's one yeah. of the things is that like uh you there there it does come at a sacrifice, you know what I mean? Like I I my clothes have holes in them and I don't have to put a kid through college, so it's an easy easier decision for me to make than it would be for other people. But see, here's the thing and uh people
2: always forget this, but when any place has standards, it normally comes from one or two people early on who then raised that generation and standards what's the uh name of the bobcat movie
4: oh um call me
3: lucky
2: call me lucky all right so when this film comes out the boston comics and you know a ton of them uh where they come from why there's originality why people do that all got started years and years and years ago at a Chinese restaurant, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's the reason why that, you know, 30 years after the fact, the comics in Boston are like, no, you got to be original. No, you don't steal material. No, you don't do hack jokes. You know, you go up and try to do stuff. But it's so funny that it goes to show you that people want, like to have standards and the audience wants to have standards like when you brought up bringing up the audience you would not have the grunge thing unless certain clubs were open at that yes. time and the audience felt really good about we're going to see a new band tonight right you know and we're going to see original music and that'll is a perfect example of that where All this great original uh, music came out of because the guy who had it did not want to hear cover songs. Right. That's it.
10: That's right. Because yeah. of that, you have Talking Heads. Because of that, you have Ramones. Right, exactly, exactly. And I don't, I don't mind listening to dick and fart jokes, but I want more than that too. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, I want to hear the new stuff that's coming down. We're um, tonight at eight o'clock. We've got um, Ted Alexander and Jeffrey Joseph coming in for a town hall meeting and a comedic panel discussion on just the climate of the world and the protests and all the stuff that's going on. So, yeah,
2: like, I've been following Ted on uh, Twitter.
10: Uh, he's so amazing. And um, well, it's also fun to see how much heat that you take
2: for having those exact (laughs) opinions, because that's the thing. If you are yourself, you're going to alienate some people. Um, Not everybody's going to make the New York Times. But, you know, here's the thing with Jay. How long did it take him, like you said, to be in this town before the New York Times noticed?
0: I mean, he's been doing comedy for 16 years, and I think he's been living here since 2001. Right. So a long time. And it's one of those things like, Jay's not not five-minute TV ready And so his path's just been a little bit different. It's taken a while for people. I don't... I mean... I just always thought he was great. Mm -hmm. There was never... But I come... I don't come from a business background. I come from a club background. I started food running at the Comedy Magic Club and fell in love. Yeah. So I've just been enjoying and watching comedy for a decade. And it's like... You can sit and you go like, Oh, I don't understand why. And I don't understand why. And I don't understand why. But it, it, it is kind of one of those things where I go, How come people didn't just see this sooner? Right. I go, How come it took everybody? How come it took so many people? I'm like, Who's... Who's out... Who are the people that are telling us, like, What's funny in the world? Because there's so many people that we're sitting on that are not known where I'm just... I just don't get it. I don't get how you can be the best of the best and not be known. It's not just Jay. You know, guys like Kurt, but it's all happening. And so that's yeah. where you go like, oh, careers do take a long time. Louis C.K. didn't get to where he is until he'd been doing comedy for 20 years. Exactly. Yeah. So, and
1: you go, oh, Jay, what Jay does
10: is harder, I think. So it maybe took him a little longer. Because yeah. it's, you know, it's a different, it is, like you said, it is such a different path that he took. And it's like, it's been incredible. But I think, I think it is this, I think this year is his year. I'm really excited for I him. I think so.
0: I think so And he's, you know, he didn't do a lot of auditioning and TV stuff. And he just started doing the radio a couple years ago because Jay's been an incredibly present father to his daughter for the last 12 years. So he actually, you know, there may have been some career sacrifice that he made to make sure that he could be there for her years. And he, you know, worked on right. that as well. Now... Whether that's a cop-out or not, I think that Jay also, just at the core of it, wants to be a stand-up comic. Every goal he has is all
11: just based around having more people come out to see him do stand-up. Yeah. So, you know, purist. I think, too, it brings up the idea of gatekeepers and technology as well, because there was a time where there were a very small number of people who had the access to the New York Times. It was Mitzi, it was Esty, it was you only had a small number of people who were able to anoint you. And now you're able to, you know, Jay's a good example, Kurt, Ari Shafir, they were able to find their own crowds, their own way through podcasts, through just being stand-ups and going around the country, being on shows like this where people get to fall in love with them and decide for themselves. This is who I like.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, you don't get, like, there used to be that overnight success story. Like, I will tell you this, because I'm trying to think of, oh, David Steinberg was, got a write-up in the New York Times you know, and this was years ago in the village that changed his life, like the night that he came back in. there were lines around the block because people believed in the new york times i don 't know whether Jay is going to get that kind of pump for this, and i don 't know if doing the Tonight show having an h b o special i don 't know what puts you over no you 're exactly
11: right there 's no one thing anymore there 's yeah. no center of gravity there 's no i 'm on carson i 've made it. So it is a lot harder in that sense because, you know, I can name 20 people that are friends of mine that did Late Night this year. But if I call my mom, she doesn't know who any of those people are.
10: Yeah. There have been a couple of, like, sort of, I, I, I'm i hesitant to say overnight success, because that's mm. sort of, like, I mean, I don't want to take away from anyone's, like, journey or whatever. I keep saying journey. It's so annoying. <laughs> um, but I think Michael Shea really was a, he had he had a quick rise. Yeah. It was a lot faster than the average. Gerard Carmichael, too. Mm-hmm. One Taberson. of Christine's favorites.
0: I love Gerard. He's everybody a loves amazing. Gerard.
2: Well, Michael's interested because I remember this time last year, Christine's like, oh, you're doing this thing. I'm going to get uh, Michael Che, and you're going to love him. Blah blah blah. And by the way, Christine, you know, doesn't just do this for for Jay, but everybody. I mean, what what the people that Christine has introduced us to and introduced our audience to this year is phenomenal. And when you talk about a gatekeeper and and a and a kind of. Trendsetter and, and taste, but you need that. You need someone to say, "I do have a palate, and you're going to enjoy this." You know, it, it, it certainly you'll never have a scene without that. But Che is already seeing the pressures of what happened. Like you sit oh, around yeah. and read people talking about Che as if this is the most important thing in the world. This seven minutes
10: that Crazy. takes place on SNL. That is a whole different ballgame that you're in. It really is. It really is. And there was a time where he was doing Daily Show and SNL at the same time, which, like, he was a zombie for, like, weeks. So much work.
2: So if someone came to you, ladies, now, and said, I want to make it in comedy what's the path that you would put them on
11: <laughs> I would say stop wanting to make it that's your first mistake you yeah. just want to just be go funny just a joke I yeah. mean just get up every day all the time and patience oh my god everyone I actually literally responded to someone on Reddit yesterday that asked this Of alright I've done like three open mics how do I get a set at the comedy store and I was like okay calm down you've got to go do every bar where you're ambushing people like rebecca said a bookstore there's going to be a show you do in a graveyard sometime before you get there mm-hmm. and just do it find your friends get funny together and you know it happens obviously you've got to be a little business savvy but the just it's the come work come back and talk to us in 5 years but yeah. it's really not a career path.
2: No. It's the exact no, opposite no. of a career path.
10: No, you're honing an art. You're, yeah. You're honing a skill. So it's, it's it's not a career path at all. In fact, maybe pick a career path while you're doing it. For some people, I I think that it's healthy for them to have a day job so that they have an experience other than writing jokes about writing jokes in a coffee shop. Right. You know? So, you know, they have to live their lives. They have to be in New York. They have, to, they, they have to get up as much as they can, like Amy said. They have to hang out and do FaceTime and meet people and throw parties and make themselves useful.
11: Yeah. And to Rebecca's point, too, that's an interesting difference between New York and L.A. Because so many L.A. comedians also, like, do commercials and they can live off that money for a year. Yeah. So they just sit in their house playing video games all day, hanging out with their comics. And I can't tell you, I used to run an open mic and I would hear eight of the same jokes about a commercial that I had never seen. And no one else was going to see. Yeah. And I was like, guys, you got to like do yeah. things. Go to a store. Go you to know. a movie. It's so
2: funny. There's so many comedians I have said, you know, you do that bit about how the maid wakes you up too early in a hotel, and no normal person has ever not woken up in a comfort inn and not just dashed out. The first, They never are getting forced out because they go to work. There's a reason with the, but that—that that is true, that you get in that alternative lifestyle of, you know, guys living nights and stuff. Uh, I always thought that there's something about guys who grow up outside of the city, but a train ride away. You know what I mean? Like, they live the suburban life, they grew up that way, they can write those jokes, but then they have the access to the city. It's the difference of, like, Seinfeld or Jon Stewart, or, like, Belzer, who was, like, really so urban that I don't know if he ever played outside of New York and L.A. But there's something about those guys that are... They grow up in the suburbs, but they're close enough to get all the benefits of these kind of rooms. We're talking to the women that are changing the face... Of Comedy Today, Fez.
4: Amy Hawthorne's here. You can read her writing on Comedy Groupie.com and TheInterroBang.com. That's where you can find her articles and interviews. Christine Evans is here from The Stand in Manhattan. That's TheStandNYC.com. And Rebecca Trent's here from The Creek in the Cave in Long Island City and also CaveComedyRadio.com, where you can hear podcasts like Legion of Skanks and The Show with Chris Laker.
2: I don't know what I got to do to get on Re- uh, Legion of Skanks. I ask and ask and ask some. Trying to do that show.
0: Uh, can you
10: stay up past midnight? <laughs> what
0: time do they to the show? start? At ten. Ten o'clock. Okay, that's uh, and how long do they go? They go for about for an hour, hour and a half. See, I, we want you on so bad. We're ready to bring the podcast equipment here and just like bombard you with it. I <laughs> would love to come over and do it because I want to come
2: to the club. I want That'd to, to smoke pot with them and I just want to play video games and be one of the now guys. I know you're
1: lying. Yeah. No.
2: <laughs> you know, uh, Jay sent me the worst text the other day. He goes, "Do you want to go to the football game with me next week?". And I go, well, no, it's too cold. too cold. And he goes, everyone I asked over 40 says the same thing. So, A, I'm hit with an age joke. And then, B, I'm like, how many guys did he
0: ask before
1: you? It's really just <laughs> doing out. I
0: thought I was going to have to work. I got it off. Luckily, oh, luckily our GM got strep throat, so she needed favors from me this week. So yeah. now I get to go to the game on Sunday. <laughs> well, what are you doing uh, if they lose? Then you got to drive all the way back with them. Oh, him. my God. I'm just not even thinking yeah, about that's that. That's a be nightmare. Missable. We it's went to one game. Day. It was just a 20 minutes. It'll be fine. Yeah. 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 Cheesesteaks, you know, tasty cakes. I wanted to stab myself in the neck last week. I, I don't know if I could make <laughs> yeah, that a was ride his birthday back. birthday, too. Is that right? Yeah, it was Losing his birthday. Losing on your Saturday birthday.
2: I lost. Um, so you guys
0: feel pretty good about the future of comedy now, right? You feel strong about it, or. I do. There's a little bit to it where it's like picking. I do believe that there are weeds in comedy, and definitely not everybody trying to do comedy is meant for it. And there's a there's a significant issue with the art, just in the fact that it looks so easy. You can get yeah. up, you can do it anywhere, anyone can stand on a stage and do comedy. And I don't buy that, once you stand on a stage and tell jokes you're a comedian, you're not. It takes a while to kind of earn that title, and it's a lot of work. But people lose sight of the fact that they have to learn their instrument. So... They don't, they don't think of it that way. They don't understand that you're almost like learning a new language. There's a lot of people getting into it where they're not watching comedy. Mm-hmm. So they don't even know, like Rebecca said, they don't, and Amy, they don't even know that they're doing something that's already been touched on by a bunch of different people. They're not, they're not like really fans of it. And they do just want to go, they think, Oh, it's a club. I'm just going to get up at that club and they don't understand the process. And right. it is hard. I would never, ever, ever Tell a young comic you're not funny or anything like that. Yeah. I just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't say it. I think there are people. There are people that have. There's a famous story with Dave Chappelle that somebody in D.C. told him he'd never amount to anything, and you never want to do that. But I do try to tell people my my go-to thing. I'm like, get your peers talking about you. I'm like, once other funny people are talking about, oh, you got to check out this guy. He has this joke, or you know, the the people that are kind of like the higher ups in this business get excited mm-hmm. about someone. That's when I really start going like, okay, well, let me, let me pay attention a little more. And we all, we all discuss and we all have different tastes. Yeah.
10: And they separate themselves on the open mic scene. Like, some of them become comedians and some of them become hobbyists. Some of them mm. just want to go and do a couple of minutes to entertain their friends in the back of the room and that's enough for them. Some people want to write the perfect joke and be the next Brian Regan or, Bobcat or whoever your hero is you know mm. but it, it, not everybody who takes the stage is a comic and you have, to, you have to go through years before you can figure it out and there's plenty of people who start off on the stage and end up producing or end up right. doing many other things inside of the comedy world you don't have to be a comedian to be a part of the comedy community as well so there's a lot out there to be done and it doesn't necessarily involve a microphone all the time
2: no you're very very right about that it was really weird like when you see uh, when Mike Nichols just passed away they did mm. a thing on his life and like you look at it and it started as a guy telling jokes and ended up being this extraordinary life that he wouldn't have had unless he would have started telling jokes at some point. But I think that's the thing and and the same thing I think could be said with what, what you guys are doing. If you're not chasing your passion, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, if you're really not doing something because this is what you honestly want to do and this is what gives you pleasure, then yeah, then then I think that is the treadmill. You know, when you're when you're not doing yeah. but you're doing stuff and failing is means that you're doing stuff. That's That's right.
11: so. I'll be the Pollyanna to this though too and say for all the weeds and all the people that I say like they're gumming up this system, wasting everyone's time yeah. by doing this there's too many people that are really good and getting better all the time for the there's too much supply for the demand of late night spots spots at the cellar at the stand there's it there's so many good people like there's there's no lack of hope for the future there's enough good people rising to the top all the time that it's not like yeah. we're stuck with all these hobbyists and actors who are just trying to beef up their resume that are going to be the only thing available in some kind of terrible comedy bust
10: i don't think that they're wasting people's time though like i I like having the hobbyists around like we have a we have a 40 year old and a 50 year old guy that come in on the rags well actually 50 and 60 <laughs> and uh and and they're just they're 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 past their first relationships they're divorced and they mm. just want to tell jokes and they're there in the audience and i, I I don't think they're going to be famous. I don't think that anyone's going to write a movie about them. But then I got interviewed two weeks ago because somebody's writing a documentary about those two people or filming a documentary about right. those two people. So like, you never really can tell. But I like having them around because I think that they just add to the tapestry. That's what New York comedy is: is having those sort of like bizarre people that are also a part of the scene that come in and like. This there was an older lady named Barbara that used to come in and like rip her bra off and throw it, and that was part <laughs> of her like open mic scene. It was just it's hilarious to me. I like having those guys
11: around. I say that those aren't the people I think are like wasting everyone's I have a very I've noticed too this is a difference between LA and New York but in LA there are actors who are failing as actors, whose managers say, you should try stand-up and oh, beef up your resume. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they are literally wasting everyone's time because they're going to do it six times, realize yeah. it's not going to make them famous, and literally those six minutes of stage time every day could have gone to one of those people. Yeah. And I've got a guy, there's this guy Boon Shakalaka in L.A. who is a homeless transvestite, yeah. and he walks around with his set list written on a giant poster board and multicolored marker. He's my favorite person. <laughs> I mean, he can have all the stage time he wants. Boom Shakalaka, that's the guy <laughs> um,
2: Amy, what what made you uh, fall in love with this? What made you stick with it like this?
11: It was a total series of coincidences. I mean, it's it's got to be fate. If you believe in fate, there were so many things, and I can't go into all of them because i will take forever, that led me to the comedy store in L.A. And once I was there, I fell in love. They do this thing um, at the close of every show. Don Barris, who does the warm-up for Jimmy Kimmel, mm-hmm. he goes out, he does a set. And then he brings on a fake band, but he never lets on that it's a fake band. They're doing all covers, they're lip syncing, <laughs> but it's a complete show. They all have characters, histories. If you don't know what's happening, you're just, it's crazy. And I fell in love with that. And so they kind of adopted me and they were like, you come, you come by here anytime you want, you can get in free. And then I started coming earlier and watching the guys like Steve Ranazziti, Whitney Cummings, uh I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. And that was, that was it. I was hooked. And it's it's now something that you can't let go of. No, I get, like, itchy if I'm not going out to comedy <laughs> all the time. Yeah.
10: Uh, Rachel, what about for you? How did this happen for
11: you? Um, I'm a military brat, and
10: my mm-hmm. parents didn't let me listen to music when I was growing up. Uh, so I listened to a lot of stand-up and stuff. But I actually bought the creek to, uh, to use the theater as a training ground for myself. I was a director. That's what I went to college for. And um, I... Also bought myself a job, and it was a very, very full-time job, so I didn't have time to do any directing, and ultimately I stood back and was like, if I have to be here every day, I want to be surrounded by the people I like the best, and those hands down were the comedians. So we changed the programming. I bought my business partners out and then changed the programming over to 24 hours, just 24-7 comedy.
2: But you were, Rebecca, you were doing this stuff with Colin, right? When he
10: Yeah, Colin uh, developed uh, Unconstitutional out of the creek, and then uh, I was the director of his off-Broadway um, production of it. It was an amazing experience.
2: But that, I mean, to go from, oh, you got this club, to now you're working with Colin, who I think is... You know, I mean,
10: I don't get starstruck very often, but I will never, ever be as embarrassed as I was the first time that I met Colin. I couldn't stop staring at him. My mouth was open. He was (laughs) just in the back of the room getting ready to do like 15 minutes. And I was just like, he's just so close. (laughs) I I had I had a goal that year where I wanted um, and Joe List, one of my favorite comics, asked me, uh, what did I want? Out of, out of this coming year. And I, I ask all the comics that every year and, and I took Joe out to lunch and he said, well, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. I've, nobody's asked me that before. I want, I want Colin Quinn and Janine Garofalo to perform at the Creek at some point. That's what I, that's what I want. And he called Colin that day. and had him come like the next week he showed up the next Wednesday or something so it was an amazing experience and and being able to work with Colin so closely I'm descended from John Adams and John Quincy Adams on my mom's side so I'm a huge constitution nerd yeah so for that to happen and for it to be that subject matter and for it to be him and for it to be in my space like I can't even tell you like I hope that I didn't peak early, but that was a peak. I loved that experience so yeah. much. It was amazing.
2: Well, you know, there's a thing about, with Colin, with comedy, that Colin could have gotten by doing the stuff that he was doing for the for the 80s, mm. early 90s. He could have done that for the rest of his life, and everybody would have been happy with it. Uh, but he is now going in a direction that, it can make you somewhat proud of comedy. You I, know mean, I mean
10: his latest one man is yeah. racism growing up in New York City. Yeah. It is one of the most I mean, I said this about Unconstitutional too. Is one of the most relevant timely pieces of of art that I have gotten to see. And he did a he did a short run at the creek. He did a few days over at the creek a couple of months ago. It was phenomenal. I can't wait to see what it turns into.
2: All right, we're gonna take a break here. Some of the ladies that are changing comedy. Uh Rebecca uh, Trent is with us. Amy Hawthorne and Christine Evans will be back in just a moment. It's the Ron and Show.
7: Ron and Feds on Raw Dog
1: Comedy it's Hits. Hits, Channel ninety
7: nine. I was feeling pretty good for la 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 la, taking my time on the la 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 la, snow falling down in the la 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 la. Everybody singing like la-la-la-la Taking all the halls with the la-la-la-la Making my way to the la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la I can stand above the beach The lights popping in the trees The people shining in the street And the people in the light All the children in the light
1: Singing holy, holy night
7: I was feeling pretty good La 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 la, taking my time on the la 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 la. Snow falling down in the la 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 la. Everybody singing like la 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 la. Decking all the halls with the la 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 la. Making my way to the la 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 Across the bay, I don't think about a thing, I feel a million miles away, like I'm floating from the sky, like a storm of falling snow, then I'm spinning through the trees, then I'm shining in the road, all the people in the light, and all the children in the light,
2: It's Rana Fez's show, and that's always first snow, Fezzy. uh, Sleeves always throws out the first snowball.
4: The La 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 song.
2: Is that the name of it? Yeah. I would have worked a little harder on the title, but that's me. (laughs) You know, like, I'm sure that was always Paul McCartney's first title. John pulled him back a little bit and said, let's just make sure we give something a little bit cooler. Uh, Talking comedy today, Christine Evans is here uh, from The Stand in Manhattan. Uh, Rebecca Trent, who somebody just wrote to me and said I called you Rachel at one point. Is that true? Uh, did you, I, didn't no, I didn't catch that. If you then did let's it. all just forget about it. <laughs> and uh, from the creek in the cave is here, and Amy Hawthorne, more on her writings at comedygroupie dot com, and also the interabang.com dot com, and um, you know uh, I was just Big J uh, writing to me right now. He didn't really. I had to actually write to him that no it's good to do the New York Times because he didn't like the you sweet old Yenta that I sent him the first thing this morning <laughs> um, good Rebecca what's happening tonight Creek in the Cave
10: uh, tonight we've got Ted Alexander and Jeffrey Joseph coming in at 8 o'clock to do a town hall discussion and comedic panel with, uh, with 11 other comedians uh, it's going to be Jumbotron downstairs as well we're expecting a really huge turnout for it but it's going to be 8 o'clock and it's going to go till it's done
2: that should be really really cool And what's going on at the stand tonight? I knew you were going to ask me that, and I'm like, I have no idea.
1: (laughs) Um, I wasn't supposed
0: to work tonight. I haven't looked at booking yet. (laughs) uh, Let's see, the Lemonade Stand Variety Show. Oh, yes, that's uh, Sam Haft and Jessica Delfino do that, and uh, it's a little different. Sam's actually, he kind of came up in entertainment. His Mm -hmm. father is a big producer, and he grew on me. I really did not like him when I first met him. And but he's just he actually is a genuinely like witty guy and a character and I like him see so. this is
2: why you're more honest than anyone else in this business to say I didn't like him at first <laughs> <laughs> no one says that
0: well I was like this is just some rich kid my boss made me hire like uh-huh. why is he doing comedy on our stage but look like I you know I'm kind of an asshole so I, I, I eased into it. Why would it. you say kind of? Why not just uh, <laughs> I, I, I also am into self-preservation
2: <laughs> and Amy what's the newest things you're going to be writing about? What's new for you?
11: Um, well I've got a Bill Burr interview up on the bank Which by the way is terrific and people coming in from all over
2: to read that one too.
11: That was my starstruck moment literally like as the phone is ringing I'm calling him I'm just like okay brain please work don't just go uh, Bill Burr So you. You're the greatest comedian working today. What do you have to
1: say (laughs) about that?
2: What is it about Burr that is standing out, though? Because he was uh, not, you know, seven, eight years ago in the same places that we're talking about, you know, Big J.
11: I think, um, well, Netflix is a big thing. We talked a little bit about that, where he found his audience. Again, it was the technology. And I think, for me, the nerd side of it, I love guys, and I can list a bunch of other ones. Ted's another one. Greer is another one. That... You, if you know how it works, you can see the Swiss watch precision of their set. But uh. If you're in the audience, it just feels perfect.
10: Yeah, yeah.
11: Like that's that's what Bill Burr's got going on. He just knows what he's doing so well now. It's amazing. Um, and today, I put out on my site, Comedy Groupie. Uh, I have a funny thing I do every year at the Year End List time, where I make an asshole list of uh, guys you should crush on because I think lists are silly and arbitrary. So I uh-huh. made a silly, arbitrary one. And I already had someone calling me out for being a misogynist for not having women. So All right, so there out. Who some of the guys you should on now? Um, so it was very New York-centric this year since I just moved here. Mark Norman, Joe List, who we just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe Zimmerman and Joe Maki, because I just yeah. like guys named Joe. <laughs> um, Dave and Lewis from Legion of Skanks. Um, gosh, who else am I forgetting? <laughs> um, and Aaron Berg, who I just think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, James Maddern, who used to go by Mad Dog, people know. And then a couple of the younger guys, Ian Fidance and Robbie Slovic. (laughs) You know, uh, let
2: me just uh, mention this again about Joe Liss. He won the the football contest we did, took that helmet, which he said all year, if I win, I'm going to sell it on eBay, gave it over to the charity, went for thousands of dollars to a family that, We just had talked to, and the father had you know brain surgery just this week, and you know you gotta feed the family while that's happening. So that's an amazing thing for Joe to do because it's a lot different than if David Letterman would have done something nice. You know, Uh, we know that he could have used that money himself. So that moves him up to my number one crush. I'm gonna do my own number one crush list. (laughs) Kind of
11: in love with him anyway.
2: Uh he's so funny. I saw him so in that uh that New York's funniest thing and his set was just so pro. You know what I mean? Just so all the way through. yeah. He was Funny, a, funny stuff.
11: When I moved here, he was like the guy that all the other comedians were like, oh, you know who you don't know but you should is Joe List. Uh, he was the one everyone said, and they were not wrong. What took you
2: from L.A. to New York? Why, why Accident it of move?
11: life, uh, yeah. outside life, work stuff. But it was also, I, I was really excited to do it because, I, you know, I came up in L.A. I'm now watching the guys that I saw starting out as babies become TV stars and, you know, getting their things And it's a little bit like being with your family. And then at some point, you've got to graduate and go to college. Like, most people start in a smaller city and they get to come to L.A. But that was just, like, my family. And I, I just wanted to go somewhere and try different. Where, like, all right, I don't know anybody here. Well, I know, like, five people. And let's see what we can do in New York. And let's see a whole new scene and fall in love with comedy again.
2: You know, when you wrote about the roast battle thing, and then it was just, like, a couple of months later, I think after that, that... That last one just blew up. Yeah. So big in New York. But all you guys can see this stuff bubbling before everybody else sees it, huh?
11: Yep. You can and it's that like Roast Battle was one of those things especially that, that is so dear to my heart. The two younger guys who originally started it out of an open mic, uh Rel Battle and Brian Moses are very funny young guys and it started so organically Out of the small room in the comedy store where they do do these like free shows and give you a little more space to experiment. And then to see Jeff Ross come on and say, Oh, this is my wheelhouse. I bless this show. I'm going to be a part of this show. Let's make it huge. It just, it's so gratifying to see that happen.
2: Uh, you know, I was talking about you guys, and you, all three of you, in different directions, are still following along in this comedy career. But we were talking about some people in some smaller markets. What would you guys do if you lived in a in a college town or a mid level town out in America? Can it still happen for people?
10: Yeah, I'd, oh, yeah. I'd start a creek. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'd do. Yeah. yeah. When you say start a creek, would you like to create an environment for artists to come in yeah. and perform and hone their craft?
2: But do you think that you could take this and do it again and again? Is that something that interests you? Absolutely, yeah. I, it
10: interests me, and it's something that I think needs to happen. Really, right? In the way that the improv has done it around the country, or would you? I mean, I, I, I've, I've shy away from being compared to any of the sort of like chains or any of the corporate, uh-huh. corporatized performance spaces just because we i don't think that our aesthetic would be like that at all it would right. it would be more like fubu variety right it's got to be sense.
2: reflective of the community that it's in yeah
10: exactly so yeah. i mean it would depend on what the needs of that specific community are depending on what it would look like you know ultimately but you know i would love to do a 24-hour brunch spot in austin that didn't even have alcohol that just did comedy all the time right That'd be great
1: yeah
10: you know and those there are so many college towns that are just popping up like what's going on in the comedy scene in Portland and what's going on in the comedy scene in in Atlanta and in, in colorado it's just it's incredible you know i I would love to be a part of those communities as well yeah, it does seem like Denver' is just really it's popped yeah. up so big Gralics actually just got picked up there um those those who can their um their comedy uh, pilot just got picked up by. Somebody, True TV, I think. Um, So they're going to start moving. But Grawlix was really the the people, Ben Roy, Andrew Overdahl, and Adam Caton holland that just blew that scene up. And uh, Adam actually hosts a, I think it's called the Highland Festival, and it's a weed-centric comedy festival that's in August over Chappelle's
0: birthday every year.
2: (laughs) I wonder what marijuana will do for the comedy business. It's
0: It's
10: working wonders for it, I'll tell you.
0: Well, I love one of our. Uh, I, I'm gonna say one of our favorite spots, Clandestiny, up oh, in Toronto. Man, so great. It's this woman, Joey, runs it, and somehow it's just a weed bar, and people just smoke and and yeah. and watch comedy, and it's definitely definitely a different vibe. I don't know. It's it, awesome. It, it's novel. I like the novelty of it, but uh, I, I do. There's I something think... about like getting a little loose and keeping the air cold and it's sitting upright that I like too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stay alert.
11: Yeah. Well, they've got weed shops running shows all over L.A. too. Like That's become the same thing as a bookstore or a bar, except it's less ambushy because people come in and they're just like, I'm smoking weed and someone's telling me jokes. This is great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is the
2: best thing that ever happened. All right. This just got uh, tweeted to us. I would frequent comedy shows if the club owner didn't have such crazy minimums. They shit on the audience and the talent. Well, that is what led, I think, to the first bust after the 1980s comedy boom that... It got set up in such a way that everybody, I think, already felt like they had experienced right.
10: that thing, and they were, you know, it turned people off. It yeah. made people not want to go. Um, you know, even now it's hard, uh, specifically for us to get women to sit up front in the comedy and, and right. at my spot anyway, because they don't want to get called out or heckled or whatever. Or some of them do sit up front really quick, and you keep an eye on them because they're gonna heckle. <laughs> right. But, um, but you know, I think that there there was at least at least some disservice done during that time period because it did turn a lot of people off
0: but i mean we've
10: come a long way we're not paying comics and coke anymore either you know what yeah, I mean? that's yeah. though. So, <laughs> that was great times
0: and again, that's why i love talking to, um I've, I've gotten the pleasure to talk to guys like richie tinkin and rick newman over right. you know more recently and, and hearing about you know catch opening and yeah. all that i think the comedy club it just became a, a business model right so when you take something and you go okay there, there's a cover charge and there's a drink minimum and this is how the place runs and this is how you do it and it works for them it's going to work for us. You get places like in Times Square that are selling out seven shows with guys that are barking people in that have been on stage three times and then, you know, all these tourists yeah. go to these shows and they go... Because it's not... Free comedy, and it's not here. Is this experimental, developmental thing? It's yeah. a, give us twenty bucks and a two drink minimum, and we're going to show you a one year comic. Right, and I think that by, by where telling it's just you convoluted. out Times
2: Square that Louis C.K. is probably exactly. oh God, stopping right. by. And but you know what? It's funny because Rick Newman was in here not too long ago. And it was almost a creek in the cave. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, when he started it, it was really cabaret. You yeah. know what I mean? It was really... You know, not only did the, the comics come out, Pat Benatar yeah. came out of that
0: room. <laughs> he managed her forever. Yeah. yeah. And that's something I hear. Uh, there's a, a lovely girl named Sarah that still works up at Stampton, New York. And she was a waitress at Catch a Rising Star. So she's just been... And Kai, I was like, why didn't you ever become a booker or anything? She goes, I never wanted to get involved. I just love it and wanted to be around it. God yeah. bless her. But she has stories of... Um, like like, Chris Rock at Catch, and, like, he pissed off mobsters, and she had to, like, shuffle Chris out the back. And yeah. stories of, like, walking around with Larry David and just listening to Larry David talk about what an awful comic he was. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love, there's something, like, with The Creek. And, you know, as as much as, like, I fought, because there's something about, like, a a business where you go, okay, well, this business model works, and I opened a club with no drink minimum. Yeah. And not that I, you know, I was asked to help be the opening manager on a club with no drink minimum, and it, it's a struggle. It really is because it's like you're taking something. And you're like, well, we know that this wheel works, but we don't like that wheel, so mm-hmm. let's see if we can make a new one. And uh, it, it's challenging, but there is an outreach in the community of like people really like that. They like that they're not forced to order shitty. But the thing is, is like. I, go, I don't know. If you build it, they'll come. Like, if you have a drink minimum, you're offering good drinks, I don't think it's a problem. I think the problem is offering shitty comedy and rice liquor yeah, because yeah. you don't have a real liquor license for, you know, 12 bucks a pop and ripping people off. Like, comedy, unfortunately, has become... People think rip-off when they hear it. And so we're hoping that, like... By pushing all the stuff that we like and going, no, Stand Up New York's a great club and The Cellars a great club and The Underground's a great club and if you want, if you want like new the Creek in the Cave and talking about that and the the, the- even the week at the Creek's, so I always say I'm like the best place for anybody to run a special that's going to be shot in a theater is the Creek in the Cave. Yeah, it's a theater, so it's like all this stuff coming around. I just hope that, that people do start to realize that comedy really is fantastic. It's a great thing. I personally feel like. I don't like any other. I, I love live music, but you know, live music and live comedy for me are the two things that I think are are the most like fulfilling in entertainment. Yeah, and uh, it, you know, it, it sucks when I hear people say they don't like comedy. I'm like, what happened to you? Yeah, how could you? <laughs> how could not you like... not like comedy? It's the yeah. best thing in the whole world.
2: But you know, there was a turn off thing. You know, and uh, Rebecca brought up earlier about the audience, and like if you go. Uh, to see an art opening, they take care of the people they they feel like that 's right these are paintings hanging here that don 't come alive until the people show up. Mm-hmm we lost that mentality and now it's being gained back that the audience is part of the experience and it isn't a matter of just treating them as like, hey, here comes Skippy with his, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there are ways to do crowd work, but there's other ways that people have where crowds that they walk the room and it's supposedly funny and people are like, I'll never fucking go back to that again after what happened, I spent $100
0: to be fucking insulted? You're crazy. That, that's the value yeah. of the comic. You know, yeah. it's like, there's certain people, Patrice O'Neill walked a room, you're like, it's their fault. You
1: know, like, yeah. they, they did something wrong. The whole audience yeah. obviously did yeah.
0: something wrong. And uh, and then there's other guys where you're like, oh, we did something wrong. We put somebody right. on stage that wasn't prepared to handle any sort of, like, adversarial relationship with the audience. And right. that's something where as a, as a booker and as a producer, you have to go, I've done stuff before, you know, you throw... You throw somebody on, you're you're nervous, you're not sure how it's going to do, or you put somebody on that you think is just going to slaughter, and they, you know, people surprise you, and I don't want mm-hmm. to say like disappoint, but uh, it, cause it it's not a matter of disappointment, but when you take risks as a booker and you put people into a situation, be it a guest spot on a club or a paid spot on a show where it's like they don't work that club, it's like there is something anywhere. You like, it's stressful, yeah. 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 All right, you let's really hope they put their best foot forward. Rebecca's a venue owner, which mm-hmm. is very, uh, you know. I think with the exception of Caroline Hirsch, you're the only girl in comedy that actually owns a venue. That so might be true. we're trying to, like, like I have people to answer to still when I produce a show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the be-all, end-all of it. And Rebecca knows we, uh, Rebecca's my pr- we started producing together in 2012. Yeah. We did the What's Your Fucking Deal up in Montreal, and it was just... It birthed awesome, out sure. of... Um, it birthed out of... When Legion of Skinks moved to the creek in the cave, we all started hanging out. And it just was a conversation upstairs in her apartment where Jay was like, oh, I've always wanted to do this crowd work show. And Rebecca was immediately like, we're doing it. We're calling Robbie. Get Montreal on the phone. There's a midnight surprise. We're gonna go. And I'm like, so-and-so, 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 yeah. so-and-so. I was able to wrangle Jane. Jay. And like, we, uh, we realized that we just work well together. Yeah. And it was something where I've worked with so many men in my life, and I, I'm just like, oh, is this what it's like? Like, this is just what it's like. I'm just gonna get fired from every job I ever have forever. And then I work with Rebecca, and I was like, oh no! I was like, I, I, I'm good at this. This yeah. is fine. <laughs> All right,
2: I'm gonna. Add, I, I guess I'll do this with Rebecca first. Are there any boundaries now? In 2014, is there anything that somebody could say on stage where you say that does not belong here?
10: No absolutely nothing at all absolutely nothing absolutely not we have shows where comedians go up on stage with zero clothes on and tell jokes Uh we have comedians that tell rape jokes we have comedians that talk about fucking babies absolutely Mm -hmm. any topic absolutely 100% you cannot censor anybody who's working in this craft at all and if we don't like it, we vote with our laughter. If mm-hmm. we don't like it, we can get up and leave. But comedy is what it is. They are the bards. They are the ones that are speaking to the condition of the world right now. And they have to be able to talk about everything.
2: And why is that important? For the people out there who couldn't disagree more with you. But why is it important <laughs> that, that the free speech aspect of comedy? Well,
10: I'm an American. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> Outside of that, I think that I think that it's important for people to be able to explore the ugly, the disgusting, the cancerous, horrible, poisonous parts of our lives and our existence and figure out a way to make it funny. That's what those people are doing. And that's why, in a lot of ways, they're heroes to me. They are doing the Lord's work. I want them to talk about the horrible, awful stuff so that they can spin it for me a little bit so that I'm not broken at the thought of, you know, being diagnosed with cancer or 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 whatever else they want to talk about, you know. It's, it, it can't always be funny. Sometimes it's political. Sometimes it's nasty. Sometimes it's mean-spirited, but it all is a part of it, you know? Roasts are, are born out of love just as, and just as much as they are born out of anything else. Like, like, they have to be able to bandy about everything, or we aren't getting an honest, uh, an honest slice of life from them. Also, I
2: think some of that stuff has to work out rough Agreed. before it can get to the humor. Um, I, I had to do this thing for uh Bill Hicks. Um, I think it was at the Friars Club and they showed of a piece of tape of him going up, uh, the time that they that they killed all those people and the kids at Waco, right? Mm-hmm. And he was on stage furious, just spitting and like the moderator comes back and goes, Like, why what happened to his humor? Is this where Bill lost his humor? I go, No, this was the first day it, it happened. You have to have that kind of passion. Later, you know, you do something with that. Maybe, you know, um, maybe he did and there's no tape of it or maybe he dropped it after the fact or maybe he got sick right after that. But the thing is that first time out and now because of people with phones and YouTubing, sometimes that shit gets online
10: before it's finished. And that is one of the biggest challenges that we have to deal with. Um, Chris Rock recently did Whiplash. Um, Jeremy Levenbach is uh, the booker for that show, and he's, uh, he was so stoked to have Chris on. Sure. Chris went out on stage. Uh, the crowd was just thrilled. He asked respectfully for everybody to put their phones away there was a guy in the front row that refused to put his phone away, and he kept going, man, he did a joke, and then he was like, dude, seriously, put the phone away. He wouldn't do it, he wouldn't do it, and finally Chris just housed the mic and walked off the stage. And he had to, because he has to have, we have to give the artist permission to fail. They have to have have the ability to write these jokes, and for us to expect them to walk out on stage flawless the first five times that they say it out loud is insane, and for us to hold them accountable to that level of work, that, that infant of a joke, to hold them accountable to that as that as if that represents their comedy or their art is completely unfair yeah so there have been times when i've confiscated phones there have been times when I've taken because we we tape at the creek, so you don't ever need to set anything up. We'll do it for you. We'll give it to you. So you don't, there doesn't ever need to be a camera on the floor unless we, there's special permission. But it, I mean, it's a huge concern. I didn't want parts of Collins. Collins, unconstitutional originally had a five minute bit about a polar bear in it.
11: You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I I don't, you know, so it, it has to be able to evolve. Yeah, people just don't understand. There's no garage for comedians, you know. Bands get to practice in private till it's good enough right. for right. public, and but comedians need don't the have audience
10: that. in order to get the feedback, yeah, and also no, without the yeah, audience, that's it's masturbation. Really
2: true. Like no one heard McCartney going, "Hey Bob." <laughs> 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 Uh, <laughs> it's not Bob, it's something else something people just looking at him uh, you know, we are talking about Rock, who by the way had that great thing of, I forget what show and they were going, Chris, we can't do anything about the phones you know, that's the way the world did he goes, but but you do it with cigarettes you know what I mean, like, right. you do the same thing but uh, the iBang had that thing up with uh, Chris, of just taking like all the interviews and pulling parts off and I'll put this up against Meet the Press in the last three four weeks, the things that chris said besides being funny have been so damn smart and cutting through it's an amazing thing that what you can do sometimes that comedians can pull off of hitting that sweet spot that has been there the the whole entire time and then you see it and you will never not see it again right that's the phenomenal thing um all right, what you ladies have, uh, you know, are doing with your lives. I think uh, again, I'll throw it in with the Lord's work because I think a lot of these guys would be totally not being able to pull this together and not to, you know, when, when you said Jay said, "Hey, I always want to do that show." He'd still be saying that somewhere <laughs> to his buddies, but someone has to say,
0: "Okay, let's grab it, let's take it next level." I love it, and I, uh, I. I never take it for granted, and there still are moments where I I go like, oh, wow, I get to spend every day around people that I consider to be some of the most brilliant, funny people in the world, Sure, and to be able to just kind of like live in this with them and and talk amongst ourselves, and also like even be able to throw it out to people and telling, like I love telling people who's funny. (laughs) Nothing makes me feel better than telling people who's funny and then having that person come back and be like, oh, wow, that guy's really funny. Yeah. And, like, you just
2: never know what times you're living in. I've talked to so many of the guys uh, that were in London in the 1960s who now look back on it and go, how... How was I even part of, like, I'm talking about, like, you know, they were in the kinks, but they're like, you don't understand. I knew the who, I knew the stone, you know. The scene has always created everything. There's nothing that comes out of a vacuum. Yeah, it always right. comes from people putting together peers, and then for those peers to bring the game up a notch. And uh I think... It's extraordinary times. I really do think that we're gonna look back on some of these times and go, "Damn, that was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah,
0: wasn't it great?" Before everyone got shows and movies. Well,
1: it's
0: so weird. Even guys like uh, there are certain people with all the guy code stuff that came out and all that, and all those people and uh, you know, girls like Jess May and all them. And I am like, I forget. I am like, oh, I am like, are they saying this? Like, I I forget. And you see, because you are just kind of like so in this world with them, and then it's weird when uh I went away, when I was in L.A., I would ask people in my theater class to come see Daniel Tosh for free on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Like, he was headlining, we needed to fill the room. And I went back, like, two years ago, and he came out to do a guest spot, and the reaction when he came out was like that of a Robin Williams, or or something like that, and I was like... Mind-blowing. Well, holy shit! I was like, (laughs) look at that! And I, I just hope I get to keep seeing And he was somebody where I was like, Good! It was like well, it happened for Louisa K. I was like, Good, all right, we're on the right track. And I just hope that I get to see that. Like yeah. it's such a cool thing. I hope that I get to see that for many, many more people that I that I just love watching. I
2: think it would be funny to walk through a mall in Iowa with some of the guy code people. You might be saying, <laughs>
1: Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much, guys. We had to do this again every once in a while. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Take us out.
4: Christine Evans, thank you so much. From The Stand in Manhattan, go to thestandnyc.com. Tonight, it's the Lemonade Stand Variety Show with Nick DiPaolo. Thank you, Rebecca Trent from The Creek and the Craven, Long Island City, New York. That's creeklic.com. Tonight, it's the hashtag Black Lives Matter Town Hall, hosted by Ted Alexandro and Jeffrey Joseph. And Amy Hawthorne, thank you so much. You can see all of Amy's writings and her interviews at comedygroupie.com. And on the interabang.com.
2: That's it for us. See you guys in here tomorrow. And uh, that's the end. Uh, Dubai Show. Donk. Great job.
7: Satellites gone way up to Mars. Soon it'll be filled with park and cars. I watched it for a little while. I love to
3: watch
7: things on TV you know what you've been doing
8: you've been listening to the Ron and Fez show it's now over but don't worry you can listen again and again on Sirius XM on-demand